the best place to buy tires? Where's the best repair shop for my hybrid? Questions about your car? Drive into Dobbs. With more than 40 locations, our team of technicians will get the job done right the first time. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Cheap, cheap, fun, fun. Spring is in the air and Dirt Cheap is in your neighborhood ready to deliver the perfect drinks to your doorstep. That's right. All of Dirt Cheap's convenient locations now offer delivery of their wide selections of beers, wines, and all the spirits you need. And if you're like me, nothing hits better in the springtime than a nice weeded bourbon. Ask the friendly staff at Dirt Cheap about their selection of weeders like Maker's Mark, Larceny, and so many others. Download the Dirt Cheap app and order curbside or delivery. Have fun, but be careful out there. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on GoToDobbs.com today. I am curious if there is an aggressive team or two who might consider this an opportunity to swoop in and sign some for agents. Not the big guys, the Carlos Correa's, Corey Seegers. They're, they're going to wait and see what money is, is eventually going to be out there. But, you know, for the second tier and third tier free agents, a, a smart team might jump in. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Dave Schoenfeld last week on the Danny Mac show, talking about how he believes some teams might get interested on diving into this free agency market early. And Alex, that's exactly what we've seen. Yesterday, we announced there was a four-year deal for a starting pitcher. Today, we got another one to report. Jose Barrios, seven years, $130 million as the extension with the Toronto Blue Jays. That's a little different. That's an extension as opposed to somebody diving into the free agency market. Barrios had one year left on his deal after he was traded up to Toronto down the stretch last year. It's about $19 million per year. Not exactly the same as this free agency market, but I do think it sets a bar for some of the pitchers that we can talk about. The Angels also earlier today making some news. They have signed Noah Syndergaard to a one-year deal worth $21 million. We talked a little bit about Syndergaard going into this offseason, and I said I'm not all that interested in a guy that has thrown six innings over the course of the last two years. Not for $21 million. I have zero interest in Noah Syndergaard at $21 million tied to a comp pick. The Angels not only have to give him $21 million for this upcoming year, they also lose a draft pick for signing him because the Mets were able to offer him the qualifying offer. Alex, that is not something I would be interested in in for the Cardinals. So I'm honestly, in a lot of ways, glad that the Angels went with him because now he's off the market. We don't have to talk about that option. Yeah, anymore. I mean, for a moment, I was thinking Noah Syndergaard would be incredible because I'm thinking of the guy who started 31 games back in 2016 and threw 183 innings. And even you can look at what 2019 was for him. Not a bad outing, not for $21 million and losing a comp pick. Those two things are just a no-go for me. And then add in the factor of you don't know what Noah Syndergaard is. No, he might look like a Cy Young pitcher for the Angels this year. And if so, then you gambled on not seeing the flop in Texas or Texas Hold'em. And good for you. But I'm not taking that chance for that. So no way. 
Yeah, I'm glad to see the Cardinals didn't go for that kind of one-year deal for Syndergaard. And I get it, it's a one-year deal. No, one-year deal's bad. But considering you already have the injury history and question marks with your rotation. And 21 your ace, mil in a comp pick's bad for yeah, a one-year deal. God. Yeah, and and your, a, and your rotation had all these question marks with health coming into last season, and it has it this year, and your ace last year was a 40-year-old Adam Wainwright. I don't think they needed any more question marks, so I'm glad to see they avoided this one. If that is what Noah Syndergaard is going to get, a one-year deal worth $21 million. The hell is Max Scherzer going to get? One by 50. One by 100. Whoa. I mean, money. two by 80 doesn't seem impossible for him. I'm serious. I, I would not be shocked if that guy ends up getting two and 80, two and 90, something like that. That's ridiculous. It, it is. It's absurd. It's crazy amounts of money. But I didn't think that we were going to see another team willing to give a qualify or give up a draft pick because of the qualifying offer and $21 million for a guy who has thrown six innings over the last two years. I think what this shows is just how desperate certain teams are in the free agency market right now for pitching. All of these teams, not just the Cardinals. We talk about it locally. All of these teams saw their rotations break down last year. So you know what all of them are trying to do? It's copycat league. They're all trying to find the ways to plug that hole. Noah Syndergaard, the Angels decided, man, we have no pitching outside of uh, Otani. Let's go get Noah Syndergaard. He's been really good. In I his don't career. think the Angels are done either. No, I, they're going to the get Angels, like three more. I think they're going to throw another 40, 50, 60 million at pitchers because that's the one area that sucks for them the most. Absolutely. And they need to win now. You've got Otani. You've got Mike Trout in the prime of their careers. They're not getting any younger. You got to go. Get, you got to go do this now. So you go get Noah Syndergaard. See if you can catch lightning in a bottle. See what I did there? You go out there and get two or three more starters. Don't see that, what he did there. I get it. His na- big name is Thor. Yeah. It's a whole it was pretty. Thing. It was pretty bad. I get it. Um, you go out there and get Four, two maybe. or three more guys on the mid-tier market, and maybe you're able to solve that pitching quandary that you've had over the last decade while Albert Pujols was there. This does start to set the market, though, for the Cardinals, and that's where I think we kind of shift to this conversation. The Jose Barrios seven-year, $130 million extension with the Blue Jays, I think tells you exactly what we're talking about for Marcus Stroman. And guys, I think it takes me out of the Marcus Stroman market. What? Seven years, 131 for Stroman. I don't know if he gets no, seven, though. I, I think he gets five because he's a couple years older. So maybe it's four to five years. And I think he gets a little bit more on the so AAV. you're talking 19, 20 mil? Because you've got, you had one year left on the club control for Jose Barrios at $10 million. I think you're talking about 20 to $22 million per year over four to five years for Marcus Stroman. And I don't think that I'm in on a contract like that. That's waters. I'm not swimming in right now. It's just, it doesn't make, it doesn't make sense for the Cardinals to spend that much money on one player who makes a difference for you. One every five days. It just, if I'm going to spend that money, I'm getting a guy who's going to make a difference for me every single game. And that's on the hitting side. So this is what I wanted to get to with you. I read this yesterday in Rick Hummel's chat, and I just disagreed with the assessment. He said, if Stroman gets into the four or five-year range, the Cardinals will be uncomfortable. But if they really have a shot at him, they might have to reconsider their previous philosophy. So he's right about that assessment. Do you guys want the Cardinals to get uncomfortable with their pitching, though, this offseason in terms of the contracts that they hand out to somebody? Because this is one of the strange offseasons where... I'm actually very happy that the Cardinals have the philosophy they have when it comes to pitching. Don't get uncomfortable here. Go out there. There are so many starting pitchers available. I put it down the list that we've talked about in recent days. Alex Wood, Pineda, Grinky, Cobb, Gray, DeSclafani, Mats. 
That's seven starters that if they signed any of those seven, I could convince myself it's the right move depending on the price for this team in this offseason. And oh, by the way, I didn't mention the fact that there are at least three other starters from the Marlins and the A's who could be available via trade as well. That makes sense. That's 10 potential starters that could plug that hole in the rotation that the Cardinals currently have. I don't need them to go extend beyond their means for pitching, especially if that means, as you said, Alex, it takes away from what you can do offensively. Yeah, don't don't get uncomfortable in signing a pitcher in the offseason. Sign a guy for really cheap and then extend him for five years and give him $100 million, then get uncomfortable. That's the Cardinals way, ladies okay. and gentlemen. Don't do that either. What okay. happened? You know, the Miles Michaelis theory. Get a guy for cheap and then give him a lot of money. They learned their lesson there, too. They did learn their lesson. I'm with you, BK, I which I hate saying, especially this early in the morning. But you got plenty of options. Yeah, it ain't early anymore. It's, it's 11 o'clock. Wake up, big guy. Oh, it's, it's early, man. This is early. This is, this early. is wake up time on T-Bone's weekend. <laughs> oh, jeez. T-Bone's got an empty apartment right now, clubbing. so it's always tired for. You ain't clubbing. You Should don't I know me. The only clubbing you're turning on is your disco ball in your living room and watching Golden yet. Girls. I don't have one of those You'll get yet. one of those. No, but I'm with you, BK. This, this is the market that I think you should be shopping in, and they should have been shopping in all along. You get one of these guys for a one or two year deal cheap options but somebody who who could at best be a three or a four in your rotation but at worst a really good five for you grinky pineda wood i like those options for you with those with those numbers for barrios and if stroman's there i think matt's might be pricing himself out of the cardinals in this circumstance because i think he might be looking at 12 to 15 I, I think it depends on what happens with robbie ray and kevin gossman well, robbie ray is going to get paid the two other guys going to get paid him. Because, it, the, or sorry, not who, what happens with them, what team gets left out in the negotiations with those three guys. Because if there's a team that desperately needs a top-end guy and they miss out on those uh, those three names, yeah. then I think they could look at, and they're not interested in Max Scherzer, they could look at a Steven Matz and say, all right, he was a top prospect at one point. Maybe he could be that guy. We'll overpay a little bit to bring him here. And I know this is going to break your heart, BK, but I just I don't I don't want him. I, I want somebody. Matts. What? I know. I don't Whoa. want him. I just I want a guy who could come in on a one year deal, huh. deal for me, and then move on after that. But I who's don't that need guy? Matt. Alex Wood. I think you could get for a one or one year deal with an option. Don't. Uh, what are you? He's in? basically you put him on Stephen Matts. Uh. He's basically Stephen Matts. Michael Pineda, I want you. Give me a one year with an option. I like the idea of that. Zach Greinke, your boy, the Kansas City Royal. I could do, I could do Bring him in for a one year deal. Greinke Only pitchers hit. All of these guys that I just mentioned are less than $10 million, and you can still exploit the area of need, which is offense. Don't uh, I. I wouldn't mind doing Matt's on a two, three year deal. John Gray, two, three That's year deal. That's what I'm talking about. I honestly, Strowman, I'm very curious to see about because I don't mind going four to five with Strowman, depending on the money. If it's 20 million, then yeah, no. It's but- 20 million. I am afraid that's. The I think case. these contracts that we're seeing right now shows that teams are willing yeah. to spend. Look, if Barrios got 18 million now, and now, if Syndergaard who can't this is pitch, what I, this is what I find interesting: is if this is what they're spending now, what happens if there becomes this free agent flurry? again in february that that's why i'm curious to see if the cardinals are going to really jump on this market and try and get ahead of this because i only see the prices going up especially for your top end guys like marcus stroman we're getting close to spring training cardinals are going up to the altar all right we had this deal four years by i don't know 80 all right i want five by one 110 now i I think that's going to happen that's why i'm curious to see if they're going to jump this market and try and get involved with what we're seeing here because i only expect these deals to go up from here So here's the other thing that I find interesting. 
some of these pitchers that we're talking about, Grinky, uh, Mats, Alex Wood, they're the pitch to contact guys, right? And that's what the Cardinals can use because of the defense that's behind them. There are some teams that are going into the market that I don't think can go that same route. Like the Yankees probably want to add another starter, I would imagine, going into this offseason. They can't do those guys. That that doesn't make sense with the defense that's playing behind them. They're not very good defensively. What? Brett yeah. Gardner was in center. Not good for them. He's old. I don't know what the Mariners are going to do, Martinez but they're always old. seemingly willing to spend money. They're not going to go this route. The Red Sox just lost a starting pitcher to free agency. They probably can't go this route either because their defense also not great behind them. Uh, the Padres are probably going to end up going to the market for some starting pitching. I would think for certainty. I don't think they can go this route either. So some of the big spenders that we love talking about that are probably going to be going into a similar market to the Cardinals. They're going to go more the, the strikeout pitchers. They're going to try to find guys that don't put their defense to work behind them. So I do wonder if for Grinky or for Mats, maybe that suppresses the market a little bit. I think for a guy like Dee Sclafani, you're going to see it go up because he is a guy that can. He's got a decent strikeout rate. Uh, maybe Michael Pineda. You see his market go up a little bit compared to what we're anticipating on a one year deal because he's also a decent strikeout guy. I think if you get to that lower level and their guys that pitch to contact, that's where the Cardinals might have a market inefficiency that they can exploit this offseason. See, I just think that GMs make mistakes like this all the time, and we've seen it constantly where you take a guy that has a high fly ball rate and where you put him, oh, we'll sign him to Cincinnati. Yeah. GMs do this all the time. That's why I don't necessarily, because I'm kind of with you. I wonder if that will happen, but I could easily see a team like the Red Sox going, holy blank, we just lost Eduardo Rodriguez. Who we are we going to go get? get? We need to get innings. All right, we need another lefty. We'll go Steven Matz. Even if he doesn't fit our defense, we'll just hope that he can somehow change his, uh, his I don't even know what you'd call it, pitching philosophy. Maybe he'll become a strikeout guy with us. And I just feel like more more teams do that more often than not, even if they don't, even if it doesn't make sense. So that's why I don't know if that's going to happen. I could see it happening, but it just feels like that's something that could happen could, to me. Could I give you guys a tinfoil? Oh, maybe, the Cardinals, maybe, for this. maybe the Cardinals are doing the whole like, uh, hey, look over here, look over here, and then swoop in on this side, right? Maybe we're all pitching, 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 and then they're going to swoop in and get one of those shortstops. Or or a closer. Hey, look over oh, here. God. It's going to be cheap pitching, cheap, cheap pitching, cheap pitching. Boom, Max Scherzer. Max Scherzer on a one-year $40 million deal. That's not happening. You Woo. said uncomfortable. That's not even, that's beyond uncomfortable. That's pure disgust. $40 million. The if the Cardinals this offseason, that's like sitting in between two people that you don't know that are sneezing on an entire four hour flight uncomfortable for oh, the Cardinals. Yeah. God, Alex yeah. would have a panic attack. Oh, I, I, I pull the emergency door and go. If out. the Cardinals signed exclusively, their only move this offseason was signing Max Scherzer to a one year $40 million deal. Jesus. How do you feel about the team going into next year? <laughs> I, I I'd, I'd love to stick by my I'd be upset because they didn't get offense, but I can't be upset about Max Scherzer. I'd be celebrating like Mike Schilt after a 4-3 loss. <laughs> that was a good one. I was ready for that. That was a good one. <laughs> that was the a Mike good Schilt one. jokes don't stop here, boys. I uh, I think it'd be a disappointing offseason. I'll be honest. I, I don't think if you don't, if you don't upgrade the offense... I'm not talking about a winning window starting next year. I'm not talking about a team that has a shot at a World Series. You had be. Max Scherzer? Yeah, that's great. But if you're going to platoon, boy, you better hope those young kids are actually ready. And look, I'm all for letting Gorman and Yepes play. 
there's not a lot of depth behind them. So I, I would like to see them bring in some bats. Honestly, I still want the impact bat. You don't do that. I don't think this lineup's a team that can get you to a World Series. So I think it'd be disappointing. It'd be disappointing. It would not be the route that I would go. And also, man, I could convince myself that this team's a World Series favorite if they sign Max Scherzer. Like, I, I think it's learning all of the wrong lessons because you're going into next year and you're saying to yourself, okay, we're building around starting pitching. When this year... Look at what ended up happening in the postseason. None of the teams had any starting pitching. All of them that were remaining, it was like, uh, we've got how many bullpen games in the World Series? Uh-huh. Oh, three of them? Okay, we'll try to figure this out as we go. There's really been, what, one team that's been built around starting pitching that's won a World Series in the last six years now? It was 2019 Nationals. I mean, am I missing anybody, Tanner, that, that immediately comes to mind to you where it's like, hey, they won because of their starting pitch? I, I think like the Boston. Mets when they got to the World Series against was, the Royals, but they didn't win. Yeah, it was 2015, like too. Boston Red Sox won because of it when I mean, it was kind of mashed. Yeah, but they also, I mean, when you had Lackey. That was 2013. That's what I'm saying. It's been a while. Yeah, I mean, over the basically since 2014. 14, because I guess that would have 2014 was the last time other than 2019, probably when the Giants won because Mad Bomb was just a monster. Yeah, but that team That's wasn't even built around in... pitching. That was just Mad Bum. Fair, but yeah. they were built around pitching and defense, and that would probably be the formula for the Cardinals next year if they were to go this route. But so much has changed in the game over the last six years. Um, I I would love to see them sign Max Scherzer. Don't get me wrong. Just don't know that's the right route for this team to go. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. In 15 minutes, we'll talk to Springfield Thunderbirds head coach Drew Bannister. He has coached Scott Perunovich for, what, 12 games now? Uh, Perunovich scored 20 points underneath him. So we'll find out good. what we it's can okay. expect pr- from Perunovich in the Blues lineup later on tonight from his former AHL coach Drew Bannister in 15 minutes. But next, speaking of Perunovich, where is he going to be at in the lineup tonight? And what do you expect from him? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. I mean, it didn't surprise us. I mean, the guy's a major league pitcher. This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's PK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. I don't think you put a harness on him and kind of kind of hold him back. Let him do his thing and see how he works out and, and go from there. I, I think you could put him on any one of the three pairs and uh, I don't know if they ease him into it or not and put him on, on a third pairing. Uh, you could do that, but I don't know if that's going to be best suited for his purpose, but I'm looking forward to seeing him up here guys, because uh, he's obviously been tearing it up and uh, let's just see how he does. That was Luke Korak yesterday as we celebrate Scotty P day here in St. Louis with Alex Scotty and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK now? and Ferrario yeah, on 101 ESPN. Scott Perunovich making his NHL debut, or at least that's the expectation tonight. Got the call up from the Springfield Thunderbirds. His Springfield Thunderbird head coach Drew Bannister joins the show in about 10 minutes or so. Alex, it was time. He had played 12 games down in the AHL. He had scored 20 points, including two goals. He has 18 assists already so far this year. Uh, Saw some reports that because of some injuries slash COVID or whatever it was down at the AHL, he was playing on both the first and second team power play units down in the AHL. Also because he's so damn good. Also that. So he's, he's a really good player. And the question is going to become, where does he play in your lineup? And... (laughs) 
You said the key Please word. Up. Okay. It's wow. time to get you the buzzword. with BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Time to guess the lines, I guess. <laughs> you said it. This I is was going to let you hear about how Joey Vitale thinks he's going to be the next Quinn Hughes, but I'll just tell you that. This is Joey what Vitale thinks he can be like. Quinn Hughes. <laughs> Alex Ferrario thinks he can be Quinn Hughes. If you're new to the show. I'm going Kel McCarr. Okay. This is the segment in which we try to figure out what in the world the lines are going to look like going into tonight's game. The Blues play the Coyotes tonight at 6 o'clock. Pre-game coverage, or excuse me, at 7 o'clock. Pre-game coverage with Alex beginning tonight at 6 Oh, buddy, this is going to be a tough one. We have no idea who's in the so? lineup. Get yes. Spicy. I don't know if it's going to be that difficult. Oh, you looked at it. Didn't I no, have... I didn't. But they called. They sent down everybody. Is everybody ready to go? Well, the only one that I would imagine isn't is Braden Shen. I was about to say Shin back. I mean, he hasn't. Sonny's done... not playing tonight, correct? Uh, I think Sonny's playing tonight. See, I think you. These sent... are the questions I, I don't think, have answers. I think to. you sent Kyle Clifford down because you were activating Oscar Sunquist. You don't have a guy to play your fourth line if you don't have Sonny. Okay, because they so, sent Joshua down. I'm with you. I just haven't seen the announcement. Well, then why are you questioning me on this? Because I haven't seen an announcement suggesting that he's officially activated I'm from giving LTIR. You the announcement. Okay, I appreciate that. He probably that. could possibly be Can activated from the LTIR. No, you can't. Oh. So Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron. No, they're not playing together. Uh, what? What? They're not playing together. Did you guys see what the line did the other night? Kairu O'Reilly and Buchnevich? Wait, they played the other night? You think they're going to like keep that? Yeah. Did you see that line? But it's Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron. They haven't been together. They weren't together against the Edmonton Oilers. They weren't together against the Hurricanes. Peanut butter and jelly. Peanut butter, jelly time. Peanut butter, jelly. No, it's O'Reilly, Kyrou, and Buchnevich. It's the Orunovich line. Orunovich line. Are they really doing that? Yeah. This feels dirty. It doesn't feel dirty. T-Bone's dirty. It's not dirty. Because what you're doing is you're spreading the wealth, BK. You're spreading the wealth. And you I feel like you're doing the opposite of that. Perron's been struggling. And 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 Kyru being awesome. Who would you rather have centering Kairou and Buchnevich, two of the hottest players on the team right now, with the exception of Thomas Tarasenko? Let's start there. Thomas Tarasenko, Barbashev, T-Bone. Thomas Tarasenko, Barbashev. Dudding. That was simple. You're not breaking that line up. Who would you rather have center, Kairou and Buchnevich, O'Reilly or Bozak? Uh, you're right. You're right. No, go with, go with how you feel, BK. No, you're go right. ahead. No, you go with how you feel. Show us Bozak, Kairou, Buchnevich. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't. <laughs> I told I you thought. not to do it's that. what I thought. Show us Bozak, Saad, and Peron. I don't know why you were hesitating there. There was no other way to go. <laughs> I would switch Buch and Peron. You'd break up Buchnevich and Kairou, who have like six points together in their last three games. I hate this. I hate this game. (laughs) This guy. He's right. This guy over here. Kairou, who leads the team in points. Buchnevich, who's got six in the last three. He's called the chief at home. Doesn't get. But let's take factor off of that line. Show me O'Reilly, Kairou, and Buchnevich. That's the Orunevich line, BK. So the. Yeah, that's BK for you, ladies and gentlemen. So right, your so fourth, fourth line, line. Sunquist, Costin, and Neal. Sunny playing center? Of course he's playing center. Who okay. else would you put to center? I was just making sure. I was thinking Neal. <laughs> Neal could probably play center. He's big and he doesn't Do have Do you want to give us the ding? Oh. <laughs> we're we talking about the same thing still? No, we're not. Not he anymore. He got it. Dang, he got it. All right, so can we figure out these defensive pairings? Yeah, I don't this know. Is, okay, this is going to be tough. I don't know tough. these because they changed him up at practice. 
Oh, they did? Yeah. Okay. So I don't really, but you want to you hear something interesting? Guess who's on the defensive pairing for the second power play? It's got to be Perunovic. Yeah, it's Perunovic Scotty has P. to be out there. Yeah. Oh, so is I mean, it, last year they barely played. So is it Falk or Krug Falk on, on the, the first one? It's Krug. Krug. Oh, so Krug's playing tonight. Yeah. Okay, so Krug. Of course. Oh, sorry. <laughs> didn't know that. So <laughs> Krug's playing. Report? You're putting Krug and Falk back together. Yeah. That's going to be. Your... And then really the question, we can take down the bet if you want, Tanner. Because oh, we've already named sorry. the lines. We've given you the lines. Sorry. So you're going to have Scandella and Perunovic as your other left-handed defensemen. And it's going to be Pareko and Bortuzzo as your other two right-handed defensemen. Do you put Perunovic with Pareko tonight, or do you put him with Bortuzzo? Because really, it's it's a decision more about Perunovic than it is Scandella. Yeah. Alex, for me, I can only give you my thoughts on this. Well, you are the hockey guy here. I would go Perunovic with Pareko. I, I would see what that looks like. And does that make me nervous? Absolutely. This is a guy making his NHL debut, and you're potentially going to be playing him 20-plus minutes in his debut. And, oh, by the way, he's on your second power play unit. Mm -hmm. So he's legitimately in line for, like, 20 minutes tonight. I want to find out what it looks like. I think this is your last best chance to see if what Tanner has said all season long is true. Do Are you missing a top-four defenseman? Because Perunovic gives you a chance to solve that issue. I don't know that he's going to do it, but he gives you a chance to solve that issue. And if over the next 15, 20 games, I think you give this an extended look. It doesn't work in defensively. It's a, it's too much of a liability with him back there, and you need somebody that's just a better stay-at-home defenseman. Okay, then you go out to the market and you find out what you can do and see if there are external options for you. But for now, I think you find out if he's got got the goods and he can be your Quinn Hughes, as you've said, as Joey Vitalia said, and he can be a legit top four defenseman for you. So I would go Scott Perunovich with Colton Pareko. I, I, I'm with you there. That's what I would go with. And I think you'll see that in the game. But I think starting out what you'll do, especially against a team that is really struggling this year in the Arizona Coyotes, maybe you do let him wade into the water. And I know I said not to do that yesterday, but... If you think about you get Barunovic and Bortuzzo, they're going to probably be going against the third or fourth lines for the Arizona Coyotes. Let them, let them just roll out there. You got the stay-at-home defenseman with him who doesn't jump up into the play as much. Let Scott Perunovic be the offensive guy that he is. So I think you'll see it at some point tonight with Perunovic and Pareko, but this is the perfect game to let him enter the NHL with against an Arizona Coyotes team that no question is just blowing it up this year and rebuilding let Perunovic go out there and just skate the way that he's been in the AHL and take advantage of it. So I think he'll start on the bottom, but I think he'll he'll play with Pareko at some point. He might also play with Justin Falk at some point tonight, and maybe they put Tori Krug with Colton Pareko because that's what they wanted to start with last year at the beginning of the season. Yeah, I'd go Perunovic with Pareko. Oh, okay. Sorry. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Questions and answers in about 15 minutes or so. That's our thoughts on Perunovic. Let's get the experts' thoughts on Perunovic. Drew Bannister has been his coach for the last 12 games uh, down in the <laughs> AHL. He's going to join us coming up next to tell us what we can expect from Scotty P as he makes his debut for the Blues later on tonight here on 101 ESPN. They are St. Louis. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. But I'm telling you from a potential standpoint, Scott Prunovich looks so much like Quinn Hughes. It is, it is insane. I mean, Chris Kerber on the call a couple nights ago, we kept calling him Tory Krug on the power play, and I kept hitting him. I'm like, listen, it's not Krug, it's Prunovich. But the point was, he looks so much like Krug, the way he moves his hips. 
and the way he gets out of trouble. And you think he's cornered, but then he escapes it. And he finds that lane. That's the creativity of him. And I think if he goes in the minors, plays a lot of games, he's going to come up and he's going to be quite a player. I don't think we're going to have a Kale McCarr. But can we have something close to Quinn Hughes? I really think we can with this kid. Well, that was Joe Vitale speaking of the newest St. Louis Blues defenseman, Scott Perunovich, who was recalled from Springfield Thunderbird yesterday, as it looks to be he's making his NHL debut in the regular season tonight against the Arizona Coyotes. It's BK and Ferrario with Brandon Kiley and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Alex Ferrario. And let's head to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line now to get a little more info from the expert, his head coach in the AHL, the Springfield Thunderbirds head coach, Drew Bannister. Drew, thank you so much for joining us today. I know it's a busy schedule. How are you? Guys, good. How are you guys doing? Thanks for having me. Definitely doing fantastic. Well, let's start just with Scott Perunovich's play, being the head coach for the Springfield Thunderbirds. Did you expect to see a guy who would lead the AHL in 12 games with 20 points? Yeah, I, I don't think you ever expect uh, a rookie defenseman to come in and, and, and lead the league in, in, uh, in scoring uh, right off the bat, but Scotty P's been good. Like he's, uh, you know, power play wise, he, 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 he's been outstanding for us. And, you know, obviously with, um, you know, with, with uh, the loss of, uh, of Callie Rosen up to you guys, he got a little bit more time. We started using him uh, kind of back to back and, um, you know, managing his minutes a little bit more five on five to give him a little bit more offensive opportunities. Um, you know, but uh, I mean, uh, I mean, uh, the numbers speak for themselves. Uh, you know, as a young defenseman, you, you know, the reason he came down here is to to work, you know, work on his game defensively and learn the game um, a little bit on that side. You know, being out for as long as he has and, and not, you know, having a lot of competitive hockey. Um, you know, our main focus down here was, you know, trying to get him up to NHL pace and, and get him playing at a pace that, you know, when he leaves here, he doesn't miss a beat. And obviously on the defensive side, um, you know, just trying to clean up a little bit of that game, but it's, it's tough. Like for, for a defenseman, a young defenseman, uh, you know, coming into whether it's the American League or the NHL, it's a big de- adjustment defensively. Drew, I do want to ask you about that defensive side here in a second, but let's focus on what makes Scott Perunovich special, and that's his offensive ability. Uh, what specifically about him makes him so unique as a defenseman? You've played the position. What is it about Scott Perunovich that gives him such a high potential? I mean, his, his, his vision with the puck and, and uh, the way he kind of c- can control the play and manipulate other, you know, defenders with the puck and put pucks into the areas where, um, you know, he can give his, his teammates an opportunity to, to attack. And, and that's, you know, both, you know, five on five and, and on the power play. Um, you know, his lateral mobility and the way he can open up his hips. And again, you know, he really manipulates uh, the defenders in a way where he can escape a lot of pressure uh, and make plays in tight areas under a lot of pressure, just with that ability to kind of open up his hips and create more space for himself. Drew, the the uh, talking with Ryan Smith, the play-by-play guy for the Springfield Thunderbirds, a couple of weeks ago. You know, he mentioned how Perunovic on the ice, he's so confident in his decision-making skills that he doesn't question it. When the puck's on his stick, he knows what he's going to do with it. From a defenseman's perspective, and you played in the NHL, you've played in the AHL. How important is it for a guy who may be on the smaller side on the defensive play uh, position to have that decisiveness at this age? Yeah, I mean it, it's it's something that's for for a young defenseman, you know, at this level, it's a little bit it, it's it's not very common. It usually takes them, 
you know, time to develop that that confidence in their play and what they do, especially coming out of whether it's junior or college. Um, you know, he's been able to adapt his game uh, on how he played at, you know, at the college level and be able to kind of pick it up here and be able to play at this pace. And, um, you know, and, that, you know, we talked about Scotty, like, you know, the adjustment from, from here to the NHL. And, you know, I, I, think, I think sometimes, you know, players at, at that level, tend to, to slow the game down a little bit much to, to the level you're at. And I think we were, you know, the one main focus, you know, when we had Scotty here um, with his play with the puck was, it was try and play, play at an NHL level right away so that you don't miss a beat. Once you go up top that you're ready to step in and, and you're ready to contribute to, to St. Louis and the blues and what they're doing up there. Um, and I think he took that to heart and, and he has been doing that, but he, I mean, like he, he, he's just, He's a very special player with the puck. It's something that we don't see down here very often. Uh, he does things at this level that uh, not many people do. And and uh, usually when they are doing that, they, they spend very little time down here. And I think that's you know the case with Scotty. Drew Bannister, the Springfield Thunderbirds head coach, is joining us here on 101 ESPN. He is a former defenseman. He was a second-round pick back in 1992. Uh, Drew, I did want to ask you about where the Blues could be using him in their lineup tonight. We don't know right now what the defensive pairings are going to look like. It's possible he could be paired with Colton Pareko. Uh, what do you think that uh, pairing would look like? Like, Do, do you have... Um, as, as an outsider now looking in on what this Blues team could be, do you think that would be a good pairing between Perunovic and Pareko? I mean, I think uh, Scotty, like we moved him around. He he played with a lot of different pairings down here. You know, the, he has the ability to play a strong side and the offside. In fact, I think he compared like he he prefers to play the right the the right side off on his offside a little bit more than he does the left. Um, so you know, he's comfortable playing in any kind of situation in that. Uh, I mean, I I, w- I would imagine they're going to try and get him in as many offensive uh, opportunities as he can, whether it's in you know offensive faceoff starts and you know power play or whatever they plan on doing with him of course you know i i don't know exactly but i know just from from what we were trying to do here um to give him that opportunity and play to his strengths uh you know on the offensive side of the puck we start him a lot in the offensive zone um you know and obviously the power play time he he was getting you know a, a hefty dose of that when he was here with us Drew, I think an important thing for Blues fans to know if they don't already is that you run the Springfield Thunderbirds very similarly in terms of strategy and gameplay like Craig Berube does at the NHL level. How important is that for Perunovic to be able to to play in that system for 12 games and then jump right into the NHL system and, and know exactly where you're going with it? Um, I think it's really important. I think, you know, credit to, to Craig and, and the rest of their staff and, and how they've communicated with us, um, you know, especially over this summer. I think the communication between uh, the both staffs has been outstanding. Um, it, it certainly has helped us uh, down here um, in the way that, that we want to play. But it's it's also helped our players and the style and, and also whether it's, you know, team play especially team play um you know we've we've both made changes to to how we kill penalties um you know and it's given our guys an opportunity for you know when they get called up so the dakota joshua's and the cali rosens and the scott Prunoviches and and whoever else gets called up throughout the season here that that they're very comfortable with 
um, how both teams play, and they can just step in and they can just play with confidence and you know go out there and contribute to to hopefully St. Louis winning hockey games. Final one for you, Drew, and we appreciate your time today and a busy schedule. I know an off day, but getting ready for the upcoming game this weekend. Uh, just your thoughts overall on this squad in Springfield because they're one of the top teams in all of the American Hockey League, and you have some top performers right now beyond Scott Perunovich, a player like Matthew Pekka, Logan Brown, a lot of guys stepping up for this team. Yeah, we've, you know, we, I think, I, I, I truly believe, like, we haven't had, you know, be, besides Scotty, but even, you know, we've had contributors in each and every game. We haven't had anybody that's really lights out from, from game to game for us. Um, you know, I, we've, we have a great group of, of forwards and depth uh, that, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of accountability and it pushes each guy to be better. And, um, you know, at the, our back end, obviously we've, we're a little bit banged up. And obviously with some of the COVID situations that with St. Louis, we had to kind of patch some, some guys in there to, to come in and do a job for us and play some minutes. And, you know, we asked some other guys to play, you know, some, you know, a few more minutes than maybe they're usual to, but, uh, you know, for, for the most part, um, uh, you know, you know, our forwards and our D, uh, our goaltending's been outstanding. Obviously, you've seen Joel uh, for a few games up there, and he's back down here with us too. Um, gave us the opportunity to give Charlie a few more games, and we had Colt Mellis up who played two games for us too. So, um, you know, all those players that you talked about and some of our young players that are, you know, we weren't too sure about have really taken a step forward that we're really excited about. Um, Hugh McGing's been, been outstanding for us. Uh, you know, Tyler Tucker has been great on the back end. Obviously we've seen Joel Hofer, uh, Nikita Alexandrov and Wash Carrick and Laferriere. Uh, all these guys are, are taking the next step and, and they're part of the success right now that we're having. Well, it's, it's an awesome start to the season, Drew. So congratulations on that. Thank you so much for some time today talking about Scott Perunovich and good luck this Friday against Wilkes-Barre Scranton. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me, guys. Best of luck up there, too. Thanks very much. There you go. Drew Bannister, head coach for the Springfield Thunderbirds, the Blues affiliate in the American Hockey League. And uh, BK, everything he says is kind of what we've talked about with this Scott Perunovich, but one that really stuck out with me was his decisiveness on the ice with a puck on his stick. I think that's going to be crucial in the offensive situations and defensive situations. Yeah, most importantly, though, we call him Scotty P, so we've got confirmation oh, okay. that that's going to be that's... his uh, nickname moving forward. Is so that the I learned only a thing you got important. out of this interview? It was great 10 it minutes hockey talk thing. oh okay. you know, it was great it was i thought he was really good I, I wouldn't call him a hockey guy but uh it's a high bar to clear to be able to be a hockey guy i think the thing for me that was most uh interesting was him saying that he can play offhand or on a strong hand so he can play on the right or it's the left side defensively hand. if he prefers being on the right side you could stick with some of the platooning that they've done lately and I, I don't know how often you would want to do this. It would have to be obvious offensive situations. Is there a scenario in which you could have Krug and Perunovic on the ice together? The, four on four? Definitely. Five on five. I don't know if you'd have that at five. Maybe okay. uh, maybe when you're down by a goal and you need to tie things up and you pull the goaltender, maybe you'd have both of those guys out there. The, the interesting It'd part be intriguing to me. Like I know it's probably the wrong thing to do. It's kind of like some of the the offseason talk that we've had with the Cardinals. Some of these things that we're talking about are the wrong things to do well, in especially terms of managing because of your team. What this team needs because if Scott Perunovic can be a top four top pairing defenseman, you want him on the left side because That's you fair. want him and Colton Brego playing together. But I like the idea of your platoon because what if it, what if you get into a scenario because Justin Falk can play on the left side and he has played on the left side, you could shift things around and put I don't know Falk. If I want to move him though. 
That that's why I was wondering about. Well, I'm thinking. Krug. I'm thinking more in the terms of in a shutdown role. If you don't want Scandell up there and Perunovic looks overwhelmed, you can move Falk to the left side with Colton Pareko. They can be your shutdown pair, and then you have Perunovic and Krug kind of be in the offensive zone faceoff. I'm thinking more third period sure. when you're down or you're up a goal. The only reason I say I don't want to do that with Falk is just because I'm having flashbacks to what it looked like when he first uh, arrived here in St. Louis. Had such a We're, different scenario though, because it was, I don't know, man, because he, he was a he different. Was on the player side but he was a different player at that time where you didn't really know your role in this spot you had other that's, guys that's my thing I, I want him to just you are my second pairing right-handed defenseman and that's where you're gonna play but I think it's more than that as a role for him I think the role for him is you're a shutdown defenseman for us left or right side you're the shutdown guy guys don't mind playing on the offhand it's not going to hinder them as much as some people think it would it's more so what your role is on the team and that year when he was doing that he wasn't sure if he was a third pairing defenseman. He wasn't getting power play time. You didn't. He wasn't a penalty killer he's not either. Power play time again. I think he's okay with that though. I, mean, I, I think he would prefer to be on the I power know, play. But what I'm saying is, you're just it, it, it's becoming very similar to what his role was in year one. If you go this route, I would rather if I'm going to move stuff around. That is my last resort is moving Justin Falk because yeah. I am happy with what Justin Falk has been so far this year. I'll move everything else first. And then if in the last ditch effort, I need to move Justin Falk, maybe I'll do that. But I actually think I would go so far as to make a trade before I would decide to move Justin Falk now to the left side. Now you're trading Scott Perunovic? No, 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 no. Oh. But I would bring somebody else in to be that shutdown defenseman with Colton Pareko before I would move Justin Falk up regularly to be on that pairing. Gotcha. Um, that That's where I'm at. But reasonable minds can disagree. Coming up in 15 minutes or so. How about this, Tanner? We've got a T-Bone 3 coming up. As good as Tampa will take. Has the Ferrario 5 been thrown to the to the side? Just for five yeah. minutes. The T-Bone 3, maybe plus 4, is going to come up Actually, here in about 10 minutes three. or There's so. Seven of coming them? up There's next, 65780 six, is your comfort service text line for questions and answers, including the hell happened to Illinois and Mizzou last night? We'll talk about it next. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's start out with the college football, excuse me, college basketball from last night. College football. That didn't go well either, did it? Did for Mizzou last week. Not that was Illinois, nice. though, did it? They didn't lose. <laughs> they were on a bye. Yeah. No no college football for the Illini last weekend. For me and this weekend, it looks like they are going to be without positive. Brett Bielema, who has tested positive <laughs> for COVID-19. Illinois, the first top 10 team in the country to lose to an unranked opponent so far this year. They did so last night against Marquette. Shaka Smart on the sideline now for Marquette. Tanner, they were they were without Kofi, so that is a big piece of your lineup that was not part of this game. That's an important disclaimer here. But was there anything about that loss that concerned you about Illinois in the long term? 
Oh, yeah. It's turning over the basketball. Because even if Kofi played last night, I believe they lose that game. Because they could not hang on to the basketball. They had 22 turnovers, I believe is what it was, in total. So that just can't happen. And that's a trend that's uh, continued. It's not like that was just one bad game. Looking at their first game of the year, they had... 26 turnovers. Twenty or Sorry, 26 turnovers. They had 19 turnovers against Jackson State and 13 Ooh. against Arkansas State. They are a turnover machine. And your boy Curbelo had, I believe, seven last night and one at the very end of the game as well. They turn the ball over way too much. If they don't get it corrected, we're potentially talking about a team that sneaks into the tournament or doesn't even get into the tournament. And I know that's outlandish Whoa. to say. They have talent. I love the roster, but okay. if you're not going to take care of the basketball, you're not going to win. Let's reel it in. It's reel it I, no, in. I, I'm telling you, if they cannot take care of the basketball, they have the pieces. They're soft on the ball, and they're just making silly passes. If they don't start taking care of the basketball, they're going to struggle in Big Ten play if that continues. It was the one problem with Corbello last year was how fast he moved up the court. It was great to have, but, man, if you get reckless with the ball, you, you're causing a lot of problems. I always thought they were going to struggle without Susumo. I mean, he was just damn good with the ball, and I know you don't have Kofi. He's been good for the Bulls so far this He's year. He's been yeah, really by the good way. for the Bulls. I know you don't have Kofi, and that will change things, especially underneath the basket, but I, I, I'm kind of starting to believe Tanner on this one that I don't – I think they're still they're a tournament the team. Tournament. I think they get bounced in the first round, though. That that may very well may be the case. They're, I think is, they make the tournament. I don't know how good that Big Ten truly is going to be. Oh, I think the Big Ten's loaded. You think they so? Lost, they lost to a team Michigan, that's the bottom Purdue, feeder in the Big East. Indiana, Michigan State, Ohio State. It's it's pretty low to Iowa. Uh, I, I think they're going to be fine. I don't know what the ceiling is for this year's team. I do think it's lower, obviously, than what it was a year ago. I thought they had a real chance to be able to win the national championship last year with the talent that they had accumulated. But I I think they win that game last night if they've got Kofi. I think it completely changes what the game looks like, though. I don't think it's as up and down because Kofi is a significant part of what they're trying to do offensively. And you just your game plan is to play through him. He is your best player by far. So you go through him and I think it slows things down a little bit. And I think that would be good for this team. They're playing very fast right now and slowing things down a little bit might be good because it it limits the turnovers. Curbelo does have a turnover problem. It's a good point, Alex. I'm not worried about this in the long term, though. I think they're going to be fine. I uh, It'll be interesting to see how Coburn fits in because I think Underwood wants to get going up and down the court more. Yeah, and then when you slow. bring in Coburn, Coburn is a slow big man. I still believe they would lose that game last night with him because they just turned the ball. They were very, I mean, they were they were loose ball turnovers, and that's something that has to be corrected. Corbella just makes me nervous with the ball. I, I mean, I he's too. so God, I love fast. He's so fast, but, I mean, when you're reckless with possession. just so high, yeah. too. I, we'll see. Coburn's a I, I'm beast, very though. concerned about them and their turnover issue. From a team I'm not concerned about to a team that I'm very concerned about. From the 314, guys, what do you do about Mizzou and Conzo Martin after they lost at home by 14 against UMKC? Uh, here's the uh, unfortunate answer. Nothing. You do nothing. You wait for the season to come to an end. You allow Conzo Martin to continue being your head basketball coach for 2022 as well, because there's nothing you can do. Why? Here's the reality of the situation, boys. In his contract, Conzo Martin cannot be fired until at least May 1st. In his contract, even if you wait until after May 1st to fire Conzo Martin, it will cost you $6 million as a university to do so. They are not paying $6 million to make Conzo Martin go away. They're not waiting that long if they were going to fire Conzo to fire him. 
him. He is going to be back for next season. It's a two-year situation here. If after next year, they are still in the doldrums, yeah, time to make a move. For, for the here and now, I know it is not what you all want to hear after that game because that was awful. That is the low point of Missouri basketball, in my opinion, over the last 10 years, maybe. I mean, that that was abysmal. Just as bad of a performance as you can possibly get. Uh this is where we're at as as a Missouri fandom right now is we've just got to kind of take our lumps with Conzo Martin until this thing gets turned well, around. Not that the, bad question I, the question I have is how much of this is how much of this is Conzo not being able to recruit actual talented players or yes. still the carryover from the previous coaching regimen? This is all his players. There's, there's nothing left that he can blame on the previous regime anymore. This is all long? him. Three? Five. This is your five. I I thought this was like your three. You can no longer talk about what Kim Anderson did as the head coach at Mizzou. This is all his players, including the guys that are seniors now were his first recruiting class. So even the guys that have come through and developed throughout the program, those are your guys. And there's like one of them. It's basically Javon Pickett is the only guy that he's really stuck around the whole time. He has too many guys that are basically Conzo Martin when Conzo Martin was a player yeah. where they're scrappy and Conzo was super talented. So that's the biggest difference. But the way they play stylistically resembles what Conzo Martin was as a player. It feels a little bit like they hired Conzo to get Michael Porter Jr. And they didn't. They, they didn't even know that Porter was going to be an option until after oh, really? they had hired Conzo Martin because that was after uh, Washington made their basketball change. It had very little to do with the Porter family. Conzo was in charge to fix the program and to make it sustainable, and it so far has not been. Unfortunately, when you see the local teams and the success they're having between Illinois and SLU, it really puts a spotlight on Conzo, and I think that one, it, you know, unless they significantly improve the rest of the season, it's going to be hard for fans to sit here and say, hey, we're stuck with this for one more year. I'm with you. I, I'm right there with everybody. If you were having the chance last night of this guy's got to go, get it. I understand it. You are not being unreasonable for this to happen at home in year five against UMKC is unacceptable. I don't care where you are as a program. And if this is a rebuilding year, that can't happen. It just can't. And for it to happen is, is a very disappointing sign of where this season could potentially go for Mizzou. That is not a tournament team. Missouri has very little chance of doing anything uh, this year. Now, according to Ken Palm, their projected record is 11 and 19. They're oh projected to go 5 and 13 in the SEC. That sounds about right after what we watched last night. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. In 15 minutes, we'll get to the one month blues superlatives. After a month of watching this team, where are we at with the most surprising performer in a good way and the most disappointing performance so far? We'll get into that in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, who, baby, I've been waiting all day for this one. Oh, yeah. It's not a Ferrario five. No, very different. It's time for the T-Bone 3 coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. So typically I give homework assignments to Alex and I say, okay, here's the Ferrario five for tomorrow. Here's what I, I think we need from you. I couldn't do it last night. I didn't feel like putting this on him. So I texted Tanner. I said, you know what? I think I've got something that would be good for you tomorrow. I said, okay, what, what do you got? I said, I want to find out. Tell me a little bit more about some of these guys that could maybe be the next Lars Newbar, the Cardinals prospects that we're not talking about right now, but that midseason next year, 
They could really have a significant role for the Cardinals if things go well for him. He said, you know what, BK? I think that sounds great. So, Alex, this is not a Ferrari 05 today, but instead, it's a T-Bone 3? Yeah, it is. I get uh, thrown to the curb on this one. Okay. Ferrario, hit the open! Oh, hell no. Oh, I don't have one, but we'll still use the Ferrario 5 bed. Why oh, not? hell no! Oh, yeah! This is what I'm talking about. All right, so your top three. You you can't use it if you don't know excited. how to use I it. I don't get a T-Bone 3 very you often. You just abused it. I tried for a T-Bone 10, and that gets rejected a lot. Yeah, you get three, man. Yeah, I get three. Uh, so the first one I'm going to go with, number 30 prospect for the Cardinals at the end of this season. He's down in the Arizona Fall League right now. We should clarify here. These are the prospects that might make it a significant impact by midseason that we're not talking a whole lot about right now. Another fail. Way to not clarify what the T-Bone 3 That's is. On me. Right, yeah, he's the guy that set it up. I'm just going to head to homework assignment. I, and I hate to say this. I don't know if we know how to pronounce this guy's last name. Andre Palante, I believe, is how it's said. Jesus, you're picking right a guy you don't even know his name? Right-handed pitcher in the Arizona Fall League right now. Has a mid-90s fastball with some cutting action, a slider, and a high spin rate on the curveball. He has a little bit of a high walk percentage. He strikes out some guys this year. Good strikeout percentage, but the walk rate is the issue. He projects as a bullpen arm moving forward, and I'm not going to lie. Reading up on his scouting report, man, he reminds me of a Ryan Helsley. Guy that could throw mid nineties. Oh, he's worked out well. Could go in the bullpen. Oh, he's that, in the circle he, of absolutely trust. Absolutely, he's worked out well. I would take another Ryan Helsley in a heartbeat. I, I think this is a guy that could come up about midseason, start to ride that train between Memphis and St. Louis, and be a bullpen arm that could be middle inning relief for you. Again, high nineties, good curveball. He struggled with the walk rate, but he's a starter right now. But he projects moving forward as a bullpen arm. I kind of like him as number three here for someone Ooh. to get to know. How old is he? This guy, twenty-three, three, I believe. And this is, and I think this was this his fourth round pick in 2019. Yeah, He's this was just his quickly. first. Yeah, he has moved quickly, and that's why it intrigues me. And the Cardinals must like his stuff, and that high spin rate on the curveball intrigues me a lot. So huh. he's number three. This is an interesting one. All right, Andre Palante. Remember the name, kids. I think it's Payante. Payante. Ooh, I like that even more. <laughs> Yell two L's or Y's if I remember Spanish math or Good Spanish call. correctly in high school. That is that is correct. Uh, Andre Payante. I like that. That's a good one. Keep an eye on it. I can't wait to hear Danny Mack say that name. 1.3 ERA in the Arizona Fall League so far. He's been really good. Number two for me, hit a walk-off yesterday in the Arizona Fall League, Brendan Donovan. Now, this guy. I've heard some buzz for this guy. Yeah, he's interesting. He's a left-handed bat, seventh-round pick in 2018, was in only high A-ball in 2019. They started him in A-ball this year. Went up to double-A, mashed right-handed pitching, moved him up to triple-A. He ended up playing in three leagues this year and 108 total games in the minors, 304 average this season for him. And against right-handed pitching, 355 average is 962 OPS in double-A. Oh, wow. Struggled a little bit when he got to triple-A, 253 average, 771 OPS. But I think he's a guy that could, he plays everywhere in the infield, has played third base, has played a little bit of short, played second, played first, even had a little sprinkles in the outfield. This guy reminds me of reading of his kind of prospect report as maybe a potential Greg Garcia for the Cardinals. Left-handed bat, does not strike out, knows the uh, strike zone very well reading his scouting report and looking at his numbers. And and the upside, because it does sound like he has some raw power, in the upside, he sounds like a guy that could hit like 10 home runs like a Rafael for call. He walks a ton. Gets on base, too. Holy yeah. cow. And that's um, why he reminds me of Greg Garcia. Because remember, Garcia would battle a lot as a left-handed bat that came off the bench. Yeah, I mean, his walk rate is like, 
above 10% at every level that he's been at so far in his career, which is super impressive. Like you said, the strikeout rate, 15, 17% so far at most of these levels. He is a guy that a Cardinals fan seemed to have fallen in love with this year. Every time that I see somebody, uh, we mentioned like Juan Yepes or Lars Newtbar, you'll have somebody mention on Twitter, on our Facebook page, whenever we post anything, hey, don't forget about Brendan Donovan. I think he could be a guy that comes off the bench this year in about June, July, that could provide a spark like Edmundo Sosa did this year. That's what I think he could do for this team. And he's a left-handed bat off the bench. Yeah, he's somebody that I wonder if they add him to the 40-man roster this offseason. He's an interesting guy to keep an eye I, on. I don't think they'll probably need to yet. They don't have to protect him for any reasons. He's only been in the minors now for technically three years. If you include the 2020 season, I'm not sure how exactly that works right now with their Rule 5 protections, but you won't need to protect him. I wonder if they wait until next year. Maybe he's a Scotty Hurst. Remember last year where he came up mid-season? Well, don't throw that on him. I'm not saying he's the same player, but that could be in an emergency situation where you've gone through some of your other infielders. You're dealing with injuries. Maybe he's the type of guy that could and, come up and help them and out. And the thing that. that impressed me most with him, three different levels, as I mentioned, 25 games at least in all of them. Most of the time was in Springfield with 50 games. Hit above 285 in all three leagues and hit, had an above 800 OPS in all three as well. All right, so, so Andre Payante and Brendan Donovan so far are your two names to keep an eye on and they're T-Bone 3. And number one in the T-Bone 3, I mean, we've talked about him, but you have to bring him up again. Juan freaking Yepes. This guy is going to be a stud, I believe. Hits right-handed, left-handed pitching, mashed home runs this year, 27 in the minors this past season. He is tearing it up in the Arizona Fall League. He is second in home runs at seven, and he is first in RBIs, and I believe he led off the game yesterday for uh, Glendale mm, something dogs with a double. He got hit in the face in his first yeah. at bat and then in the second at bat ended up hitting a double how the hell I, is this guy 26 on their 30 top prospects that's got to change going into next year wouldn't you think yeah what i i think he'll be top 10 this guy I, reminds me of luke voigt i think juan yapez that's an interesting that's the comp. comp luke voigt slash matt adams in his prime that's who he reminds me of he i think he's a guy that could change the conversation of instead of platooning gorman and yapez at dh i think he could be a guy that wins that dh spot because he has no real split he hits right-handed and left-handed pitching very well i think he could force the conversation on the cardinals of you're gonna have to platoon edmund and gorman i think he's gonna be that good for them this year force the conversation if he's got to start every day as your DH. Yeah. If he's as good this year as he was last year down in the minors and he, he's not going to get he's not going to be that good for you, but he's close to a 1000 OPS in AAA and now down in the fall league he's at and above a 1000 as his OPS. If he is like a 900 OPS guy in the bigs, He's got to play every day. You've got to get that bat into the lineup. And the easiest way to do so next year, if you've got the DH, is as your designated hitter. Alex, are you comfortable going into next year counting on him as being a DH slash, at a minimum, bench bat on the big league club on opening day? Bench bat, yes. I don't know if I would count on him as my DH, but from what we're hearing about him and what he's done at the Arizona Fall League, that's why I go with a Luke Voigt comp. I don't know if he's going to be as much of a home run hitter, although he does have the power. I think this guy's just more of an on-base machine from what we've seen so far. And like I said, I don't know if I want to count on him, but he's starting to make me wonder if you need to spend a lot of money if you don't get one of those shortstops on going after a DH because it does seem like this guy is ready for the big leagues. 
and I got three more that I'm just going to quickly sprinkle in here as honorable Jeez. mentions. I, I think these are three guys to kind of keep an eye on. Might as well do seven I'm gonna start more with for the two. T-Bone 10. He said, you didn't give me a T-Bone 10, but I'm going to do it anyway. T-Bone 6. Uh, <laughs> that doesn't work. Just a couple of, two more bats to keep an eye on. Alec Burleson is one to keep an eye on. We've talked about him, left-handed bat in the minor leagues. He's been a strikeout machine, though. Yeah, Has he? He, he yeah. hit 299 against right-handed pitching with an 837 OPS against righties in double-A. He struggled getting to triple-A. That's where he's going to have to make the adjustment. I just don't know how much we'll see him because he's going to be starting off basically where Newt Bar was this year where he's about sixth in your outfield depth chart. He used flying strikeout rate in triple-A, 15%. That's actually pretty low, but down in single-A, he struck out 30% of the time, so it sounds yeah. like he corrected some things. Yeah, and then another bat to kind of keep an eye on is Luke and Baker. Now, the one thing with him, he spent all year at double-A. He's got some raw power. He was kind of one that drew a little bit of a comparison to Luke Boy for me because he can legitimately only play first base. He only hit 233 against right-handed pitching. If he can make Ugh. that adjustment, then he'll be a guy to keep an eye on in terms of a power bat, right-handed bat that could come off the bench. And then a pitcher. This guy fascinates me, and he has been a he's been a guy that's... Tanner did so much research for this. this th- you're going to love this guy. This guy's going to be up your alley. Connor Thomas, not even a top 30 prospect for the Cardinals. How did you find this character? I was looking at Memphis' stats uh, last night. He had a 6.9 walk percentage last year as a starter. He allows he does allow quite a bit of hits because he doesn't throw hard. He's a guy that throws in the low 90s to high 80s. So he doesn't throw hard. Left-handed starter out of Georgia Tech. This was his first year in the big in big league ball, and he was in double A AA and triple A. I mean, that shows you where the Cardinals feel of him as a left-handed starter. He had 22 games, 14 game start with Memphis and 100 in a 101 and two-thirds innings pitched. Again, low high strikeout rate, 21.1%. I kind of like that. Low walk rate, 6.9%. He does give up 9.6 hits per nine innings. Ooh. He pitches to contact, which I think he would benefit from here in St. Louis with their defense. He does give up the home run ball, but he's playing in the AAA with Memphis where the home run ball is kind of a a big thing in AAA. I yeah. think if he were to be with the Cardinals, and I'm not saying he's going to be a ace for the Cardinals, but Severe if you gave him a ground ball pitcher, yeah, ground ball pitcher pitches to contact. And I don't think he gives up as many home runs if he's at the big hmm. league club because of the ballpark he's at keep an eye on him. I think he's interesting because he's not a top 30 prospect. He could be a guy that Cardinals say, Hey, we need a left-hander to either come out of the pin pitch to contact. It's maybe a spot start. He's very interesting to me. I would keep an eye on him. I don't know how the Cardinals view him. But. I wonder if he opens things up for them to be able to make some moves as well with their other guys. We've talked a lot about the potential for a trade for them to bring in a pitcher. If you believe in Connor Thomas, I wonder if that opens things up more with uh, Zach Thompson or Johan Oviedo, one of those guys that are kind of in the, the second tier of pitchers at AAA for you right now. If you think Connor Thomas can legitimately help your big league club in 2022 or 2023, you probably don't need everybody that is currently in that rotation. That's an interesting one for sure. I I really like him. And this was, again, his first year draft. I think he's 23, if I'm not mistaken. Very young and moved up very quickly. All right. So the guys to keep an eye on your T-bone three for today. The underrated prospects that maybe could be next year's version of Lars Newtbar. They could come up maybe mid-year and make a bigger impact than anything we're anticipating. Uh, the pitcher that he said, Andre Payante, is a minor league pitcher right now. He finished the year down in AAA. Uh, Brendan Donovan, left-handed bat, who finished the, bat, the, the year last year down in AAA. Juan Yepes also made the list. And the intriguing pitcher that did not quite make the list connor thomas who finished the year down in AAA as well as a left-handed pitcher with alex ferrario and tanner hendrickson i'm brandon kylie coming up next let's get into some one month blue superlatives we are at officially as of today a month into the blues regular season who's been the most surprising pleasant surprise for you this year 
And who's been the most disappointing thus far for you? Get them in 65780 Zero Comfort Service Tax Line. We'll give you our answers coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Officially a month into the Blues regular season. They started the year on October 16th. Today is November 16th. So let's do some one month Blues superlatives. The most surprising performer, the most disappointing performer thus far. A couple others that we've come up with. Alex, let's start out with the most surprising player. A pleasant surprise based on their performance so far this year. Who would you go with for that superlative for this blue season thus far? I think Tori Krug would be the one I'd throw in surprising for this. Um, I had him listed. I know a lot of people might throw Robert Thomas in here, but I kind of expected Robert Thomas to take that next step this season, especially him talking about his offseason and what he worked on. But Tory Crew took a massive step for me, and I think more so watching what this team looked like without him in the lineup, that solidified it. I mean, not only is he involved with the offense, but the defense looks to be up to par with Justin Falk's second year looked like. Um, he is so crucial to this power play, especially that number one unit. And really, he's crucial to the team scoring goals, the amount of that they were in the first five games. So I'd go with Krug as my most surprising player. Krug's a good one. I I, I can see that one. I, and maybe this is unfair to me, but mine's kind of Vladimir Tarasenko because I, that's who I had. I didn't expect I didn't expect this from him. I kind of expected him to be like 50 percent of what he had been in the past. I didn't expect him to be this quality guy that we're talking about as Boy, you can't trade him because he's been like one of your best players. I think my pleasant surprise is Vladimir Tarasenko. That's who mine is as well. I didn't see him being this aggressive. I I didn't know if I just didn't know health wise where he was going to be at. So I I didn't think it was fair for me to expect him to be vintage vintage Vladdy. So far, he's been a point per game producer. He leads your team by a sizable margin in shots taken on goal so far this year. He's at 53. Next on the team is Justin Falk at 39. So Vladimir Tarasenko, to me, has been easily my biggest surprise on the season. The next one that I was going to go to, I'm with you, Alex, was uh, Tory Krug so far this year. He's been great when he's been out there on the ice, and it's exciting to hear that he's going to be back on the ice uh, later on tonight. By the way, we just saw some comments from Craig Berube on Tory Krug, said he's getting back out there because he just didn't want to be off anymore. He didn't want to be out of the lineup any longer. He yeah, felt he like he needed he to be back with his teammates. Mild symptoms for about 36 hours, and then he was good. So you figure that was about a day and a half that he went through symptoms, and then he's been skating for the next probably four or five games. So yeah. it makes sense that he's getting back on the ice. I think he's going to kind of be in the same situation that Brandon Saad was in. Most disappointing performer so far this year for you guys. Tanner, I'll get started with you. Most disappointing performer this year is who? It's probably unfair of me to say this about this player because I've kind of been nagging on him a little bit as the season's gone along, but I think it's Marco Scandella. I, I don't know if it's it, – that may not be fair because I didn't really expect him as a top-four defenseman to play at that level, but he's really solidified to me that the Blues are in desperate need of a top-four defenseman because he's a guy that's in that pairing right now. I think he's probably my most disappointing player so far this I year. I think I got kind of a tie with this one, but I'll give the edge to Jake Wallman. I would have put Tyler Bozak in this as well. That's a good one. I, I thought Tyler Bozak was going to be – and look, he's playing a fourth-line role, so it's hard to get in there, but I did think he was going to have kind of an impact in terms of the offensive side of the game, what we saw when he returned last year uh, from his concussion scenario. Um, but I'm going to take Jake Wallman 
moment here because I really thought Jake Wellman was going to take that next step in terms of maybe being a top four defenseman for this team. Um, and so far this year, it just seems to be a little indecisive with the puck on his stick. He's been caught in his own zone a couple of times. Um, so I think Jake Wellman would be the one for me. I went Scandella as well on this one. I, I just... I was hoping that he was going to be able to get back to form. And one of the things that we have talked so much about with their defensive pairings over the last couple of years is how those roles are so significant. And you've, you've got to know exactly what you're going to be asked to do on a night in night out basis. Scandella, it, it, it's been no doubt. He's supposed to be the pairing for Colton Pareko. You're going to be in the top four every night and you're going to be the shutdown defenseman for this team. It just hasn't worked. It, he's being asked to do, it appears right now, more than he's probably capable of. And I hate saying that because I like Marco Scandella. I loved the trade. And right after he got here, I was like, oh, wow, this is a great fit. Just hasn't quite played up to that top four defenseman so far this year. So for me, that's been a little bit disappointing. Most confounding players. We're going through the one-month blue superlatives. We're officially, as of tonight, a month into the Blues regular season. The most confounding or confusing player to you so far. I'll give you guys mine first. It's not necessarily his fault. But the guy that I'm confused by the role of what his what his role is right now and for the future is Nico Mikola. I don't know where he fits into this team's plans because now when you add in Scott Perunovic, he's he's behind so many guys on this depth chart defensively. I liked a lot of what we saw from Mikola over the last couple of seasons. I do think he's somebody that can help him. He's he's pretty physical when he's out there. He's a big dude. I just don't know where he fits in. I, I don't know what the plan is with Nico Mikola right now. So for me, not necessarily based on his performance, but based on the role I'm confused, and the most confounding player for me is probably Nico Mikola. I think that's a good one. I think I have to go with that one as well. I don't really know who else could be confusing. Maybe Clem Costin could be confusing for some people because a lot wondered if he was a top nine forward and he's solely been a fourth line player. But this team's so deep right now. I think you got to go Mikola here because I, I, is he a seventh defenseman? If he's not a seventh defenseman, where you're getting him getting him in often, are you going to send him back down to the minors so he gets playing time? He's the one that would be confusing for me as well. I like that one. And the the way I took this was I took it based on like just the stats and how we've kind of sure. talked about them. Mine was Bujnevich because he was uh, he played really well early, got the suspension, and then we were having the talk of, you know what, he's got to be better for this Blues team, and then he's picked it up of late. It's a small sample size, I get it, but he was one that's been kind of confusing to me because it's been kind of a roller coaster start to the year for him. Most unexpected star. Is this the same as the surprising player for you guys? I, I, for me, it probably would go back to being Vladimir Tarasenko. But is there somebody that you've been surprised by how often they've been a star for this team yeah, this year? Mine's Thomas. Um, I, and I said I expected him to take the next step, but I didn't know he was going to take this next step. I mean, he is he's trending in the direction of being a star on this team, and especially defensive zone face-offs, how much Craig Bruby is using him. He looks like he could be a point-per-game player. We made the comp to a couple of different players last season, but... Uh, Robert Thomas, for me, is is kind of a, a surprising star in the making for this team. Yeah, that, I went with him because, as you mentioned, he's he, I, he's played really well when O'Reilly's kind of had to get back going from COVID. And he's second in this team in points with 15. And that's, a, that's surprising for a guy that doesn't shoot the puck a lot. Yeah. So that's why, to me, he's my uh, unexpected star. Think I, about it with Tom.
Thomas too, because we talked about O'Reilly being Mr. Fix-It last year. I think Thomas has been Mr. Fix-It this year. They haven't broken up that line with Barbashev and Tarasenko other than a couple of times, and it's just so that they can get other players going. Thomas is kind of the role of O'Reilly this year. It's he and and Cairo. Those are the guys that when you need somebody else to get going, you pair them with one of those two, and and you can find a way to make it work. Uh, Cairo would be the other guy that I would go with for this answer, the the most unexpected star. I thought Cairo would be very good this year. I didn't know he was going to fit have 16 points through the first 14 games of the season. I didn't know that was in his range of outcomes for this year. Final one, most likely player to improve upon the performance that we've seen so far this year. Based on whatever we've seen thus far, you think they're going to have a better next, whatever, four months of the season than what we've had in the first month. I'll give you mine once again first, if you guys would like. Uh, I think this is pretty easy. I think it's David Perron. I think David Perron will be better moving forward than what we've seen so far this year. I think part of that is his own performance. And he said right at the beginning of the year, he wasn't even sure he was going to play opening night because he was dealing with something. He was hurt, not injured, but hurt. I also think part of it is also because Ryan O'Reilly, I expect to be much better moving forward when they get those guys going again. I think you're going to see them back to what they were previously. Yeah, that's who I went with. I went with Ryan O'Reilly because he's dealt with COVID and, and he's struggling of late. And I think we've talked about this in the past. You know, Robert Thomas was the guy that was on the ice for, I think it was defensive draw in the last game late in the game gets Edmonton oil. He got the McDavid assignment and that's just not Ryan O'Reilly. I think he's going to be better. I think he's just getting over the after effects of having, uh, having COVID. So I expect Ryan O'Reilly to be better. And that and Perron was like second on my list because, like you said, both of them haven't just been going yet this year. Yeah, mine's O'Reilly. Um, I think a lot of people should give him the benefit of the doubt because of what he's gone through with COVID, and he has talked about it as well. Some people don't view it as an excuse and think he needs to be better, but I think Ryan O'Reilly will get back to the Selkie Trophy level of play once he gets through this kind of fog of COVID symptoms on the ice. I think you're going to start to see him trend in the right direction. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Those were our one-month Blues superlatives, officially a month into the regular season. Blues back in action tonight. Pre-game coverage for Blues versus Coyotes coming up at 6 o'clock with Alex Ferrario. We'll have puck drop for you right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN coming up at 7. In about 15 minutes or so, we'll dive into the junk drawer, but coming up next, we'll go around the NFL with some legitimate questions being asked right now about Baker Mayfield's future in Cleveland and what in the world happened to the Rams last night every time we think we can trust one of these teams in the NFL they prove to us once again that we can't who do you trust right now we'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN they are St. Louis it's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield studio on 101 ESPN in the NFL last night was the conclusion of week 10 as the 49ers put it on the Rams Rams never really had any sort of chance to be able to be in that one I don't know if that was us finding out how important Robert Woods is for the Rams offense I don't know if that was the 49ers finally playing up to expectations this year I don't know if it was just yet another edition of us seeing a fluky game in a primetime setting What did you guys make of the 49ers dominating from start to finish the Rams on Monday Night Football? Guys, I think I might be done with Matt Stafford. 
I'm kind of with you. I, I mean, I, that's two games where he's throwing the ball, and I don't know where he's throwing it. I don't know. I think he knew he knows who he's throwing it to. Now, I wasn't sure, BK. You're the football guy here. Was was that OBJ's ball that he just stopped running towards that interception, or was that, that just looked like a miscommunication to because me? Because part of me was like, okay, well, maybe that was a sign of OBJ not needing to play in that game because maybe he didn't have enough time to get the the playbook down or know the route in there. But for me, the biggest takeaway from that game is I don't know if Matt Stafford's the answer for that team because, man, he just looks lost these last few weeks. I'm kind of with you because his numbers, I know they look good on paper, but he's gotten off to some very slow starts against some very bad teams. I remember texting you guys when the Rams were playing uh, the Giants. and Yeah, they had to go West Coast to East Coast, which is a true thing, but he struggled and he didn't get going until about the second half, and that's been kind of a theme for him. And the other thing for me is, that Rams offensive line is not very good. And I don't get what Sean McVay's trying to do. He had to do it last night because they were getting blown out of the water. But it used to be he would love to run kind of that play action, move the pocket. Granted, he had Jared Goff at quarterback. But he did that early in the year with Matthew Stafford. He's getting away from that. And the offensive line is just getting beat constantly. He's going with all these empty formations. They feel lost as a team offensively. The defense, I think, will be fine. The offense concerns me, and Stafford's a big part of that. They have no identity offensively right now. They can't run the ball. They can't really pass it when they're not going to Cooper Cup. Last night, they had a bunch of drops. It was a weird night for Tyler Higbee as well. He had a couple of drops. One led to the interception. That was a pick six. Uh, Who was that other receiver that was out there Gorobowski or something who the hell is that and why why is he in the football game why didn't you play 2-2 Atwell over him it's a fair question this (laughs) binge ball either (laughs) scow scow (laughs) if BK doesn't know him he's not a football player he can't play (laughs) he can't be out there if this guy is one of your leading receivers in any game this year as the Rams something has gone horribly wrong he finished the game with five targets and had eight yards he was targeted Whoa. five times for eight yards. Career there were high. multiple times. Career high. It's his first <laughs> game, probably. There were multiple times where he, like, jumped up and was like, oh, not going to be able to catch that one and just watched it go over his head. Well, at least what he made the effort. I don't remember which wide receiver was. Maybe it been him. There was one where the guy, like, jumped up and he's like a fish out of water. He's, like, flopping <laughs> around him. and the ball floated over his head. Like, what is Gorowski? going on? Uh, yeah, we can't have that anymore for the Rams. Uh, that, that, that cannot take place. Is it just the place. offense that confuses you? Because I'm confused by this defense. I mean, they're you've, soft. You've gone all well, out to bring the bear. You've gone soft. all out to bring bring all of these players in, and they can't stop the ball. They, they can't stop the run. They're soft. Like Green Bay's they, defense they are, is better than the Rams. They are built. Sorry, to pass let rush. me be politically correct. They are a finesse defense. They like it correct? when they get out fr- get out in front. You're just showing off your vocabulary. <laughs> They're a front running team right now. That's what they are. When they get out in front and they allow their pass rushers to get after the quarterback defensively and they've got Jalen Ramsey playing on the back end with the coverage that he's able to give you, they're really good and they look awesome, man. Oh, boy, does it look good when it's going right. Apparently, Tutu Atwell is uh, getting season-ending shoulder surgery. That's oh, why he wasn't out there. Really? I did not know that. Makes sense when he's 5'5 and a buck twenty five when he's soaking wet. <laughs> it said that he ends his uh, season with zero receptions. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> like so five offensive snaps. When they're playing from the lead, the defense looks really good. When they're behind like they were last night and like they were against Tennessee, both of whom are physical, rushing, rush-first offenses, it's going to look exactly like it did last night. And it doesn't get any easier from here, guys. You got Green Bay on the road. Two weeks from then, you go on the road to play against Seattle. You got to play against, uh, excuse me, on the road to play against Arizona. Got to play Seattle when they might be able to get things back on track at that point. Russell Wilson, hopefully, is going to be ready to go. At Minnesota, 
at Baltimore and then finishing things off against San Francisco. This team's making the playoffs. They're still a very good team. They're going to win 10 plus games. It's amazing. It is not what we thought they were going to be. No, it's amazing how we started off this year saying the NFC West was going to be so difficult. And now look at how it's dropped off. I mean, the Cardinals have lost a couple of games. You have the Rams losing. I still believe in the Cardinals. Yeah, I know they haven't had Kyler Kyler back. Yeah, that'll be interesting, though, because Kyler's last game that he played didn't look the greatest. But that NFC West has significantly dropped off from, what, five weeks ago. For sure. Yeah. And I think part of that is the 49ers didn't live up to anywhere close to their expectations. And, of course, then Wilson got hurt. Mm -hmm. So let's continue with this conversation. The NFC wild card is now a really interesting race in my mind. The top five seems pretty secure. Got the Packers, Cardinals, Cowboys, Bucks, and Rams. I think that's your top five in the NFC as of today. After that, you've got the Saints at five and four, the Panthers at five and five, and then you've got a glut of teams, the Vikings, 49ers, and Falcons at four and five. Out of those, Saints, Panthers, Vikings, Falcons, 49ers, who are your two favorites out of those five teams? Because two of them are probably going to end up in the postseason. Yikes. I think the 49ers have to be one because this has been, what, two straight weeks where they've played significantly better? Yeah. God, I, I don't know. Like, it's just a it's a mixture of mediocre teams beyond that. I think I would give the slight edge to Carolina if they can stay healthy with, I'd say, a better quarterback now. But I don't know if we consider that a better quarterback. Lateral, maybe. Yeah, maybe the same move. But you get Christian McCaffrey and you're healthy on defense. Is J.C. Horn back for them yet? Or is he expected back this week? I think he's out for a little. I think he's out for a few more. Oh, is he? So he's out for a little bit longer. They would be the team I would pick. I don't trust the Saints if they're going to stick with Simeon. I really don't trust the Vikings and the Falcons are just kind of an, an I don't know team right now. So I would say 49ers and Panthers. I think I'm going to go 49ers as well, but I would put the Vikings ahead of them. I think Kirk Cousins has played very good or played very well. I They're a team to keep an eye on. I don't think they make a deep run, but I, I think they could sneak into the playoffs. I honestly think they could beat the Rams when they play them in a couple of weeks. And I'm with you with the 49ers. If they can just stay healthy. I love the pieces on that team, but they just cannot stay healthy for a consistent period of time. Listen to this final four weeks for the Panthers. Tell me if you think this team can make the playoffs. At the Bills, Bucks, at the Saints, at the Bucks. Bills, Bucks, Saints, Bucks? Yeah. You may win two of those four and maybe win oh, two. Maybe. Like that I'm is, thinking you get a Bucks on a bad if week. They, if they win two of those games, they're making the playoffs. Who is this team? This is the the Carolina Panthers. Oh yeah, they're not winning they're not winning one of those games. Um I don't think they're getting in as oh, a result God. of that schedule. Darnold will be back though. Yeah, okay. I don't I know think? if that's a good or a bad thing. Meanwhile, that's listen to this thing. for the Vikings. Lions, Steelers, two against the Bears, and then you've got the uh, Rams and 49ers, Packers. It, it's a little bit more of a mixed bag, but it's I at least feel like schedule. you can get four of those. Who's I that? Th- that was the uh, the Vikings. Oh, okay. I think I'll go Vikings as one of these two teams, and then either the Panthers or the 49ers. I think I trust the 49ers more. I think those would be the two for me. All right, final thing here as we're going around the NFL. There has been a lot of scrutiny over the last few days coming off of the uh, Browns' disastrous performance against the New England Patriots for Baker Mayfield. This was the year that Baker had to get it figured out offensively, and they have not in Cleveland. Yes, I know he's dealing with some injuries right now, but on the season, he has nine touchdowns and four interceptions in nine games as the starting quarterback. It's not what you're looking for. Uh, ESPN Cleveland reacted to his performance yesterday. Alex, here's what it sounded like. I'm a Browns fan. I'm a Browns fan. 
It's like you're rooting against our quarterback. Like you want him to fail. To prove what? What? You were right? Do you realize what happens if this kid isn't the right guy? We're going to suck again. You don't find quarterback. It took you 20 years to find a guy to win 11 games. Now you don't think he can take you the rest of the way? Are you happy? I hope you're all happy. And it hurts. But I just can't believe the, the, I told you, I told you, I told you. Shut up. No one wants to hear I told you. You're not a Browns fan. That sounds like me on the postgame last year when people were telling me that the Blues need to fire Craig Berube. So, first of all, that is a Hall of Fame rant from any sports radio host. So, kudos to ESPN Cleveland. That's outstanding. He's right. Like, if Baker's not the guy for Cleveland, now what? What do you do? Because you're stuck. See, that's where I push back. I don't think you're stuck. Because I think you can go and make a big move. Because I think Aaron Rodgers is going to be back on the market. Aaron Rodgers ain't going to Cleveland. Mm-mm. What? He enjoys Green Bay. Yeah. Cleveland might be worse. Oh, he, I don't know about that. He's not going to Cleveland. He don't get much say, though. Does, I, he, see, does he have no trace? What do you go do? For me, I don't know. How, like, yes, Baker Mayfield has to be better. But I think this is more on the defense than the quarterback. There's a little bit of that. I mean, you got one of the best defenders in the game in Miles Garrett. You go out and you sign Jadavian Clowney. You upgrade the, on the secondary with uh, Johnson the second from the Rams. You ha- you're supposed to have an awesome defense. If anything, I would push back and say that the defense is just as much to blame as Baker Mayfield this season. No, there's definitely truth to that. They gave up. Uh, 47 points against LA, the Chargers. They gave up 37 to the Cardinals. They gave up 45 on Sunday against New England. When they go up against competent offenses, they've been destroyed for the most yeah. part so far this year. That being said, Baker's also just got to be better. Baker, uh, doesn't part of you think that he's just beat up this year too, though? I think there's some truth to that. And this is what makes it so difficult about figuring out what he is moving forward. You cannot extend him right now. I think next year you've got to pick up that fifth-year option, run it back one more time, and find out what he's got. Mm -hmm. Because you're right. He's been beat up this year. He's got a shoulder issue that he's dealing with. He's got, like, a knee, an ankle. He's hurt right now. It's just not working for him. I don't think you can move on from him after the season, and you definitely cannot extend him after the season. So the Browns are in a really tough spot right now. I still think they've got a chance to make the playoffs this year because the AFC is so wide open and they're sitting at five and five. But woo, buddy, he's got some serious questions that he's still got to answer throughout the rest of the year. Go get golf. He'll be available. (laughs) Yeah, that's worked out so well. Are they all that dissimilar? Ah, Baker's better. Slightly. I think golf's better than Stafford these days. Okay, let's relax. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll we'll catch up with our Blues Insider for 101 ESPN and the Athletic, Jeremy Rutherford. He was able to catch up with the Blues coach and with uh, Oscar Sundquist as well, who's making his return to the lineup tonight. So we'll get all of the latest from Blues Morning Skate from Jeremy Rutherford in about 15 minutes. But next, let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. I told you, I told you, I told you. Shut up! Let's open it up the junk drawer with bk and ferrario time to dive into the junk drawer we'll catch up with our guy jeremy rutherford coming up in about 10 minutes or so alex what do you have for us today man so boys i don't think you're pooping right okay I'm just trying to help in terms of health for both of you because there's an article on men's health right now that says... uh, I mean, I'm listening. You're not pooping correctly. 
So you apparently, the, if you're what is it, the squatty the, potty, apparently if you're sitting, should I be standing? I'm gonna totally butcher this medical name: the puborectalis muscle. That makes it might sense. have been awesome, actually. Apparently, you're causing too much pressure on that. You sitting with your hips aligned. So yeah, they say you're the, supposed to have that little thing in front of you for. They say you don't even need the squatty potty. They say you're just supposed to squat over the toilet. They said right. if you just stand up and What's squat the over the toilet. guard taking place here? <laughs> well, you, you have to wipe properly after that, I'm assuming. But if you just stand over and squat, you're going to live longer and your uh, colon is going to thank you for it. And your rectum is going to thank you for it. I'm down. So they're saying that I should hover. Should hover. Yeah. You so should what stand I would do in like in a, a wall sit position. Yeah. So what I would typically do in a porta potty, I should also do that at home. Correct. Yeah. Bite me. Absolutely not. Whoa. No chance. Jesus. No chance. This is a doctor, man. Do you not care about your puborectalis muscle? I'll get the squatty potty if they tell me that's what well, I got to do. You're still sitting, though. I gotta that's save, still a problem. I got to save money. Wait, they're saying that the squatty potty doesn't do anything? They're saying that the squatty potty, all you're doing is you're sitting and your hips are aligned still and your your knees are up. You're supposed to be aligned above. So it's supposed to be a 90 degree. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to squat. Well, man, they change this thing every year. Well, they said it's previously, medical research. I, I learned a couple Come weeks on. ago that I was wiping, wiping medical, incorrectly. Medical. So. Wait, what? Yeah, apparently I was wiping incorrectly. Hey, were you going were you up? Were you coming to the front? I'm going. No, I was going north to south. You're supposed to go south to north. Wait, it's really a pre- it's, Wait, hold on. What's the medical advantage of that? I don't understand. They're saying you should bring you're, it you're, back. If you're doing this, you're pushing stuff down. You're supposed to be going down to up. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah you're supposed yeah. to go south to north, not north to south. You were going north to south? I was for the longest you're, time. You're bringing it back. I was into... pushing it down into the garden. Yeah, Can't be why doing would that. you do that? I, I, hey, man, I didn't know until I read an article about it. Now I start going back to front. I can't look at you the same anymore. Or front to back. That's what I meant. I mean, I I don't understand why you would. How did you get? What do you mean? How did I get there? I I, I wasn't told how to properly wipe. I, mean, I, I was just know, told I, to wipe. I, I, I just feel like it probably was easier to go that way because you're not putting your hand down in that area. But then yeah, I'm but, like, wait a minute, you're doing it incorrectly. Yes, because you're bringing it back towards the the jewels. Yeah, but I usually shower after I go. I go a post shower. Really? Yeah, you always go post shower poops. Do you I mean, do a pre shower pre shower. Oh, yeah, sorry. Pre-shower poops. You like, never do post-shower poops. This seems poops. very backwards. I'm sorry. That was right. Uh, you always do pre-shower poops. See, I don't understand. I, I can't plan mine that way. Like, there's just, there, there's going to have to, I'm regular. And there's going to have to be some situations You don't have planned ones? You don't have a daily dump? A lot of the time it goes before my run just to, in the morning. To, to avoid the issues, <laughs> to avoid any of the potential problems that could arise. It's just better to do so right before I go on any sort of a run, um, which would technically come right before I would shower after that run as well. But, I mean, there's some times where, yeah, you you, you got to te- gotta make it work. Someone texted in 314 and said, Alex, I'm going to try this when I get home. Send me your cell phone number so I can text you a picture. Uh, 65780, that's who you can send it to. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I just... How many years were you, you were doing that your whole life? Where you were going I mean, I was, from the I back was doing to the it when front? I was a kid? You said just recently you found out about this, didn't you? Did I? Yeah, that's, that's what, what you said. said. I mean, like but... high school, I figured okay. it out and I started wiping differently. Okay, but that's... then I got into more of a schedule bathroom break. Do you guys have a bidet? No, but I want one. I've heard good things. Apparently, my, uh, my apparently they can overpower you. Fantastic. Yeah, I've heard. Uh, I've heard it's. Not like anything. about the overpowering one. There, there are good <laughs> and bad. Well, sometimes if it's too strong, just the drip dry takes a little longer. Yeah. That's why you always go pre 
post poop shower. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk to Jeremy Rutherford next. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. And right now we are going out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by our Blues Insider for 101 ESPN and The Athletic. He is Jeremy Rutherford joining us here on the show. Jer, what's going on, man? Not too much. I just joined you guys so you could get off that last topic. Hey, man, this is what we're here for. We've got to keep things. uh... I'd like to ask you your thoughts on it, but I think everyone is excited for us to move on. Got too much Blues hockey to get into (laughs) today. Blues back in action tonight against the Coyotes. Scott Perunovic expected to make his NHL debut tonight. And, JR, do I have this right? It's, It's basically the team that we expected going into opening night if they were fully healthy, minus Braden Shin, right? That's pretty much what we're going to see tonight. Yeah, pretty much, and we'll see Scott Prinovich, and I think uh, during camp with his strong play, you thought there was a chance that he might make the team, and guys, I got to say, you know, Scott Prinovich probably wanted to be up here the last month, but playing those games, uh, what, 12 of them, I think had to be good for him. He he leads uh, in points down there with 20 in those 12 games. He's been really, really good, and so I think to have that underneath him coming up to play his first pro game tonight, our first NHL game, I should say, uh, is going to be good for him, so yeah, uh, lineup looks real good, getting Sunquist back, and Braden Shen skated this morning, so is it a game or two more that he misses? We don't know, uh, but they should be fully healthy soon. So, Jay, on the defensive side, it does sound like that it's kind of an uncertainty. We know Krug is playing, we know Perunovic is playing, but you don't know the guy that's going to be out. I would assume it's Jake Wallman, but we talked with Drew Bannister a little bit ago, and he said Perunovic is just as strong on his right side that he would be his left side. Who, who do you feel like might be the odd one out in this sense? Yeah, it looks like it's going to be Perinovich and Bortuzzo as that third pair. And then Mikola coming back from COVID is going to be out. And then Jake Wallman, he set out uh, the special teams drills at the end of practice. Usually, guys, uh, you know, if, if even you're in the lineup, you're going to play PK and kind of help out the power play during practice there. He, he was off to the side. And afterwards, Craig Bruby said he's fallen off a bit and he feels like he needs a mental break. So it looks like Wallman and Mikola are the uh, two defensemen that are out tonight. So you'd have Scandella going back with Pareko at that point? That'd be the case, yeah. That's how they ran it in practice. Uh, I, I know the, the the pairs were mixed up a bit, but uh, it looked like it was going to be Scandella and Pareko again, which obviously they've struggled. But as I mentioned uh, after the game the other night, Craig Bruby said they're going to be better. So it looks like he's going to give them that opportunity to play together again. And then Krug and Falk, who have just been uh, terrific. And honestly, I think that's one of the, the bigger reasons why they keep Scandella and Preco together is because Falk and, and uh, Krug have definitely developed some chemistry. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I, I'm curious, JR, what are your ex- expectations tonight for Perunovic? Like ice time, the special teams units, how involved do you expect to see him in his debut? Yeah, I think we're going to see him see him play. I don't think they're going to hold back on it. Look, they saw what he could do in training camp, and as Craig Bruby said today, he said training camp's different than the regular season. But the thing that really caught my attention, guys, they're putting Scott Prinovich on that second power play. And I asked Craig Bruby about that after practice today. And he said, Hey, you got to put him in spots that where he's going to shine. And uh, that's where he shines. He can quarterback that power play. Uh, but uh, you know, Justin Falk has been in that role this season. And I know some people might be disappointed that they take Falk out of that role, but they need Falk five on five and they need him on the PK. 
And I think this is a situation where maybe Pernovich doesn't play big five on five minutes, but you get him some more minutes and some good touches on that power play, which he's so adept at. Another player getting back in the lineup, JR, and this one's been a while, Oscar Sundquist. Uh, it sounded like he was pretty excited to get back on the ice during his media availability today. What are your expect- expectations from Sonny, who we all know when he's healthy, he likes to play a physical brand of hockey? It's so much more fun, Alex. You know this, to cover this team when Oscar Sundquist is around. He did about nine minutes up at the uh, the desk, the podium, and it was like a, a comedic nine minutes. He said, somebody asked him, Darren Pang asked him, hey, when did you have that knee surgery? And he said, April 6th. I suck at math, so you can count that out and uh, see how long that was. And then I think he was asked uh, about Alexander Steen, his good friend. Hey, have you heard from Steiner about getting back in the lineup and, and being back? And he said, no, I don't know if he doesn't pay attention to the media anymore or what, but he's kind of leaving me high and dry. He hasn't uh, reached out. So he, he was uh, joking around a lot today. His smile, Craig Bruby said, it's infectious. Guys gravitate to, towards Oscar Sundquist. And you guys have talked about the Blues record with and without Sundquist in the lineup. It's night and day different. And Craig Bruby said today that's because he, he just rubs off on guys and they want to play the way he's playing north south and so this is a big addition even though you may not get the minutes uh, and you may not get the oscar sunquist we're used to seeing here in the early going it, it's huge to have him back in, in the lineup jeremy rutherford blues insider for 101 espn and the athletic is our guest jr how much of an energy bump do you expect this team to get from Sonny being in the lineup from perunovic making his debut this team has looked a little flat in the last couple of games. Do you think they could get a bump in the energy from these guys getting back on the ice? Yeah, I think they can, especially with Sunquist. And then, you know, do guys pay attention to this? Probably not. But uh, Tory Krug lobbied to get back on the ice tonight. And so, you know, players see that. They see how bad a guy wants to get back out on the ice. And then Prunovich, they realize how good he is. And, you know, he's got the speed. He's got the puck movement. The Blues defense has really struggled here lately. He can help them. So they feel that jolt too and as you mentioned to get all three of them at once uh, I gotta be honest this is sooner than I thought we'd see uh, Tory Krug come back so uh, you know to get all three of them back on the ice tonight you've been scuffling a little bit I think the Blues have been playing pretty good second third period coming back in these games and, and playing well but they're getting behind and, and so we didn't see that early in the season so you get you know what's close to your regular lineup back minus Braden Shen Maybe you get out to a lead a little bit and you're not play, forced to play comeback like they have here recently. JR, speaking of the defense, I mentioned this yesterday with BK. I think it's nine of the 14 games the Blues have allowed three or more goals this season. Uh, not not a great trend in the early portion of the year, especially the struggles that they've been going through. What have you been seeing on the defensive side? Is it a misstep from the defenseman or, or do you feel like it's a five-man unit problem? Yeah, I think it's both. I know that's uh, taking the easy way out, but let me explain here. You know, I think in that 5-0 and start, uh, there were they, they were a lot closer together. There wasn't as much space. Like, you look at that play the other night where Wallman has trouble getting the puck out. He's kind of in the corner, and, you know, maybe a, a better play gets it out of the zone. But if you look and freeze frame the camera there, the TV, there's nobody anywhere near him. There's no support to get the puck out. I felt like the first five games of the season, there's always a guy standing eight feet away, and they're making two and three passes to get out of the zone, and it was happening quick. So, you know, I think the forwards could do a better job of helping out, but I think there, there's been some poor defensive play here as of late. And you look at that top pair of uh, Colton Pareko, Marco Scandella, you need those guys to be better. Colton Pareko, you know, I think he's a great player. I think he can be a number one player. He's made just a few plays here in the last three or four games that, that don't look like him. And Marco Scandella, look, I think that he's probably a fourth, 
fifth defenseman. But I think with the Blues situation, having Krug and Falk play together in that role and really not having anybody who can step up and, and play with Pareko, you know, that's what they're going with. And it just, you know, there's been times where it's looked okay. And there's been times like recently where, where it hasn't. So do they upgrade in that area? I don't know, but they're going with what they have right now. Final question that I've got for you, JR. We talked a lot yesterday about Robert Thomas. Right now he's producing like a point-per-player performer. He has one goal, though, on the season. Just one. He only has 29 shots all season long. So he's shooting around the same as he did in 2019 and 2018. He hasn't really changed his game from that perspective, but he's producing at an incredibly high rate right now. What is the comp? for Robert Thomas. Is there anybody that comes to mind when you think of a a great center who defensively is, is performing as well as we've seen Robert Thomas so far this year, but who just doesn't shoot that much and doesn't get that goal production? Is there anything, anybody that comes to mind for you that nah. his game reminds you of? Yeah, not a, not a guy, you know, especially this young, he's still 22 years old, but you know, just to look at what he's doing, we've been saying this for a year or two. You want to see him shoot it more. Uh, I feel like he's had scoring opportunities and the goalies come up pretty big. That one goal that you referenced he's got this year is an empty netter, and it looked like, uh, you know, the, the world on his shoulders mm-hmm. when that went in. And so, you know, he's had some, some goalies make some pretty good saves on him, but still not a ton of shots. But here's the thing. He's a pass-first guy, and does that change a little bit in the next three or four years and and during his career, you know, perhaps a little bit, but you still want him to be that guy. You don't want to take that away from him. So he's piling up this, this, what's he got three straight games, multi assists, two, two, and three. Uh, So that's happening for him. I'd like to see some better defense. Quite honestly, I know he's been pretty good in that regard. And gosh, you're out on the ice with Connor McDavid Leon Drysaddle the other night, but uh, you know that line with Tarasenko and Barbashev has been on the line, uh, been on the ice for a few goals here lately. So you know it's a lot for him to focus on. People are wanting him to shoot. People are wanting him to score. You know you want to see the assist total balloon up, and hey, you want to see him play D, and he's getting harder matchups. So for me, if we were having this conversation 30 games, 35 games into the season, I'd be a little bit concerned, but I still feel like we're in that you know 10 to 15 game window where he's still getting his footing and and trying to take care of all those things we just touched on. We will be following your work over at The Athletic. We'll be checking out what we see tonight from Scott Perunovich in his debut. We'll hear that right here on 101 ESPN pregame coverage beginning at 6 o'clock. JR, always appreciate the time, man. Thanks for hopping on with us today. Anytime, guys. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. I appreciate it. That is Jeremy Rutherford joining us here on 101 ESPN. Any surprise that Perunovich probably going to be the third pairing tonight? No, I think it makes a lot of sense. I think you, I think JR is correct there. If you're taking five on five ice time away from Pareko, Scandella, Justin Falk, Tori Krug, and putting more of those on, if you're putting more five on five time on those guys and less time on the power play for Justin Falk and less time at five on five, possibly for Marco Scandella, you can shift things around a little bit and have guys more conditioned. It's what we talked about when you're back at full strength, when you're not having to shorten the bench with Kelly Rosen, Jake Wallman and Robert Bortuzzo. Now you can have four guys that you can throw out there for 20 plus minutes a night. Yeah, that's, that's the thing that's important to me. Wallman was, I, I mean, by the end, he wasn't. I don't think he, I think he only all. played a couple of shifts in the third period. I mean, yeah. you just can't have that with six defenders. I mean, you were you were basically playing your defensemen as if you had a fourth line, right? And they were just not getting shift once shifts once you got into the third period. Uh, I wanted to look back on what Wallman got. It was ten forty in ice time against Edmonton. 
you're you're just going to need your defenseman to play more than that, yeah. e- even for the third pairing. And the game before that, I think, was when he had one or two shifts in the third period for Wallman against Carolina. They just lo- they they lost trust in him. They they decided that it was time to move in a different direction. I think for good reason. He had 11 minutes and 14 total shifts against Nashville last yeah. week. So you could see it trending in the wrong direction for him, which kind of tells you where you're at. But I, I did want, I want to look at it and see what it looked like in terms of uh, of the shifts in the third period because I don't remember seeing Jake Wallman out there very much in the third. So it looks like he took four shifts in the third period. They were he, like 30 seconds each. And though. he stopped playing about midway through. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason that there were nine goals scored in that hockey game because you shortened that bench a little bit. So I think it's crucial. I... I wouldn't imagine Scott Perunovic playing more ice time than what Jake Wallman did unless there's some power plays. No, I think he's going to be around that, if not maybe a couple minutes minutes more. I don't know if they're going to play him 15 minutes tonight. That that to me would be disappointing. Yeah. If that's the usage for a guy like Scott Perunovic, if you're – I guess it all depends also on what you see from him. If he looks overmatched, maybe that changes things as well, but – I mean, Jake Wallman was playing about 15 minutes whenever they trusted him. And right now you have no reason not to trust Scott Perunovich. So I would hope that he gets that usage as opposed to what we saw at the end when they had lost all trust in Wallman. Yeah, I I think it would be disappointing if he only gets 10 to 12 minutes of ice time tonight. I, I think it would be disappointing as well. And, you know, now that I say it out loud, it does sound kind of crazy because hopefully you would if your first game you're going to play him and you're going to put him in a good position to succeed so maybe you see more I just don't know if you're going to see anything north of 15 for him because I think what JR said is right you're going to see power play time for him and maybe less five on five time once you get later in the hockey games that's Alex Ferrario he's Tanner Hendrickson and I'm Brandon Kylie. in 15 minutes what does Jose Barrios's deal mean for Jack Flaherty's future here in St. Louis is there a comp between those two we'll get into that coming up at 1 30 but next 65780 is the air comfort service x line for bet it or forget it here on 101 ESPN Vegas sets him up and we're here to make the call it's BK and Ferrari Bet it or forget it on 101 ESPN. Six five seven eight zero is the Error brutal. Comfort Service text that line for bet it or forget it. Let's say, boys. Let's start with this. Bet it or forget it. After we saw earlier today, Noah Syndergaard sign a one-year deal worth twenty-one million dollars. We will see the guys that are looking in that one-year market all sign for at least $15 million. So Zach Grinke, the guys in that category, they're all going to get at least $15 million this offseason. I'm going to forget it because there's some guys out there that I don't think command a $15 million. Like Zach Grinke, I don't know if he can command $15 million. Someone might pay him it, but I don't know if he would command it. Same can be said for like a Michael Pineda. Like I, I can see that guy... 8 to 12, somewhere around that if it's a one-year deal with the option on it. What about uh, Kershaw? Kershaw, I, if Syndergaard's getting that, Kershaw's going to get that much. Did you see what Syndergaard just said? Or Joel Sherman just tweeted it out, what, what Syndergaard had mentioned. He's, he wanted to sign early because if he doesn't pass his physical with the Angels, he wants to accept the Mets qualifying offer. Oh, interesting. So like that, that makes me, if I'm the Angels, I'm thinking, oh God, really? Wow. So if that's the case, maybe maybe we're overestimating what some teams are going to or some players are going to get. I mean, somebody was willing to give it to him. 
But Angels seemed desperate. Yeah, and I think that's why they did the 21, because they probably knew he was going to take the Mets qualifying offer. So they had to go over that if you wanted to get him. Yeah. I don't know why you don't just go 19 or 20, but I guess yeah. 21's a sweet spot. So I'm, long story short, started to, to sidetrack there, but no, I'm, I'm going to forget this one uh, because I think you'll see some guys sign for less than that. I think I'm with you. I think I'm going to forget this. I could see maybe one more guy getting 15 plus. I don't know if it's Kershaw, maybe Verlander. Verlander, I could see getting 15 million that plus. Makes sense. Coming off of Tommy John, you know for a fact that he's. Yeah. The Tommy John recovery process is pretty easy. Not easy, but we've seen it more successful than like Kershaw, who's coming off of multiple injuries. But other than that, he's the only guy I could really see doing it. So I think I'll forget this. Yeah, I'm forgetting this as well. I do not think guys like Pineda, for example, I think will be. Seven, eight million bucks this offseason. I think you could get Grinky for 10 to 12 ish because his numbers were just not last year what they had been previously. He doesn't have the same velocity. He's pitching to contact. I think that's probably the range that he'll be in. So I'm going to forget this. I don't think it's going to cost as much for those guys. Uh, I'm with you, though. I think Verlander ends up getting around 15 plus. I think Kershaw, I think Kershaw either stays with the Dodgers or doesn't pitch next year. I think he's either done or he's staying with the Dodgers. And I think the Dodgers could get him on a hometown discount. I wouldn't be surprised if he signs a one-year $12 million deal with them. I can see him moving across to L.A. I can see him going to the Angels, too. Especially if Syndergaard fails his physical. I could see him going to Clayton Kershaw and giving him 21 mil. I could see him going on a one-year deal with San Diego. Just out west somewhere, Seattle. I think Seattle is a Or maybe Texas goes back home. Something like that. I I think it's going to be on his terms. If he plays next year, I think he's going to do so on his terms. And I... He's made so much money in his career, and I know it's easy for me to say, right? But I would not be surprised if he ends up taking less than what you're expecting because he wants to be in a specific situation. If not, great acting career. I've seen the commercials. Okay. <laughs> Six five yeah, seven eight oh. commercials like Matthew McConaughey. Is the Air Comfort Service tax line for bet it or forget it? <laughs> Better to forget it. The biggest Cardinals move this offseason will be a trade. Boy. I don't know with this one. This one, I'm so, this is so tough to read because I don't see him making a big time trade. And this to me screams is Sean Manaya the biggest move they make this offseason. And if it is, that seems like it's going to be disappointing. So I'm going to say forget it. I, I think they're going to have to make a splash somewhere for the comments that Ali Marmal has made, for the comments that John Mozalak has made. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to forget this one. I think I'm with you. I think I'm going to forget it because I could see them making the move for Sean Manea from Manaya, excuse me, from Oakland. And then if they do that, then I feel like they're going to add that big bat. And we heard Anthony Kashovitz on the day match with BK say Kyle Schwarber is like the perfect fit for them. That would be a bigger move than Sean Manea, in my mm-hmm. opinion, because you're basically acquiring him to be like your three, four. Schwarber's your leadoff hitter against right-handers and a guy that could match 30 bombs. So I think I'm going to forget this as well. Yeah, I'm forgetting it as well. I think they will get somebody. That is a bigger deal than whatever a trade would be. If they end up getting Manaya, I think they'll have a, a bigger move or a move that people view as being bigger than Manaya via free agency. That's just a lot of money that you still have left to work with. I mean, Manaya's $10 million. Any of the other guys that are out there are right around that same range in terms of the, the players that we think they would be interested in the trade market still allows them maybe $25 million in flexibility when it comes to what they have for their budget. So, or what we're projecting as their budget so yeah i think i'm gonna forget this as well i think they have a big move in them in free agency i don't know what it is i don't have a good feel for it right now but i do think they'll have one out there and them not willing to part with top prospects which i don't blame them doesn't scream to me like they'll make a move for like a jose ramirez or something like that 
Uh, better to forget it, by the way. Speaking of top prospects, on opening day, if the Cardinals are going up against a right-handed pitcher, your opening day starting second baseman will be Norm- Nolan Gorman. Better to forget it. Say that again. So if they don't make a big move in the offseason? No, forget all of that. The opening day starting second baseman would be Nolan. They're playing a right-handed pitcher will be Nolan Gorman. Better to forget it. I'm going to forget this one. I I think you, I mean, how do you not let Tommy, unless Tommy Edmond is playing shortstop, how do you not have Tommy Edmond who just won a gold glove? Even if it is a righty on the mound, how do you not have him lead things off on opening day? I I mean, you got to at least give him the shot after what he did this past season and I know he struggled against righties overall but I'm going to forget this one I think Tommy Edmonds you're starting second baseman if not he's starting at shortstop I think I'm with you I think I'm going to forget this I think it's more likely the Cardinals he may start on opening day against a right-handed pitcher but I think it'd be DH I'm with you Alex I think if you're the Cardinals you let Tommy Edmonds get like a month same with probably Harrison Bader even if you add these platoon bats give them a month to see if they make improvements against right-handed pitching because remember Harrison Bader made a pretty good adjustment to get right, right-handed pitching and breaking balls. He had been terrible against righties previously, and yeah. last year he was really good against so them. So see if the adjustment comes a month in, then maybe we're starting to talk about that conversation. I'm with you guys. I think the only way this becomes a conversation is if Juan Yepes is just destroying the baseball in spring training, and he forces his way into the lineup as the DH on opening day. And if Yepes becomes your DH on opening day, now you've got a decision of, okay, it has to be either Edmund or, or Gorman for me at second base. And if it's a right-handed pitching pitching option on the mound for the opposing team, I think that's how you end up with Gorman starting at second on opening day. But I think it says more about Yepes than it does about anybody else. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for bet it or forget it. Bet it or forget it, by the end of the year, Scott Perunovich will be spending the majority of his playing time with Colton Pareko. I'll bet this one. I think the expectations for him is to be a top four defenseman, if not a top pair defenseman. That's what the outlook of him looks like. And I think they like what Krug and Falk have been together. So I think by the end of the season, if Perunovic continues this way, the, the one reason why I truly believe he's up here for good is you don't put Kyle Clifford through waivers unless you really believe he's up here for good. And I know you had to move him because of the, the Sunquist LTIR scenario, but I think that maybe you keep him down here longer you're certain he's here for long term the rest of this season, and I think by the end of this year he's going to be skating with Colton Pareko. What's what's the question exactly again? Better to forget it. He spends the majority of his time with Colton Pareko by the end of the year. I think I'm going to forget it, and the reason I say that is because I still believe the Blues are somehow going to go get a top four defenseman. Because I think it's a lot of pressure to put on a rookie to come up, and I get it. He's played really well in the AHL. Had what was it, 20 points or 22 points in 20. 12 games? I just still see some way that Army's going to find a way to keep Vladimir Teresnico on this roster and acquire a top four defenseman. seems like their biggest hole, and maybe I'll be wrong because Perunovic will step into that role, but I can still see Army doing that and putting that person with Pareko over Scandella. And then maybe you do, could you do, correct me if I'm wrong, could you do Scandella and Perunovic or no? If he's good on his right side, you can. Then maybe that may be something they would do pair. as a third pairing. So I'll forget it, I think. I think I'm going to bet this as well. I think eventually you're going to have to give it a shot. I'm a little surprised they're not doing it tonight, but I'm not totally stunned. It, it makes some sense. He's a young kid. He's making his debut. Ease him in. Uh, I, I get that part of it. I think three, four, five games down the road, if things have not improved with Scandella and Pareko, you're going to have to give it a shot. 
because eventually you're going to have to find out if you need to go get that top four defenseman or if you have that already internally with Perunovic. And I think they'll get there, and I think that he will answer the bell, and I think he's going to be a guy that you see getting 20 minutes a night by the end of the season. Another scenario that I think could happen by the end of this year is Krug playing with Pareko and Perunovic playing with Falk. That's an interesting one as well. I mean, they, like I said, they wanted to do that last year. It just didn't work out. He had better chemistry with Falk, and maybe that's the case. But if Krug's more comfortable where he is right now in this team, maybe put him with Pareko and see Perunovic thrive. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. You'll hear Blues versus Coyotes tonight pregame coverage with Alex beginning at 6 o'clock. But coming up next, we're getting back to the Cardinals. Jose Barrios signed a big long-term extension with the Blue Jays earlier today. Seven years, $130 million. Could that serve as the framework for a Jack Flaherty extension? And if it does, do you think it means that Jack Flaherty is going to be here long term? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. They are St. Louis. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. So there was big news earlier today in Major League Baseball. The Blue Jays reached an extension with Jose Barrios. Seven years, $131 million. That's right around $19 million per year. I didn't have to do the math on that. Somebody else did it for me. So they've confirmed that that is true. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Barrios is deserving of this contract. He is kind of the best case scenario for what the Cardinals are looking for this offseason. He takes the mound every fifth day over the last four years. He started 32, 32, 32, and in the shortened season, 12 games. That dude is a gamer who's going to be out there every time that he's asked to do so. That's exactly what you want in a starting pitcher. It's a good signing by the Blue Jays. I wanted to progress this forward a little bit, move this story forward, and talk about what it means for the Cardinals. Because Berrios was going into his final year of his contract. He had one more year of arbitration remaining. He was projected to make right around $10 million in arbitration this year. The Cardinals have a pitcher that is coming up on his second to last year in arbitration in Jack Flaherty. Flaherty is projected to make right around $5 million this season. Next year will be his final year of arbitration. They're different in that Barrios has been super consistent and super durable and has thrown 647 innings over the last four years. Jack Flaherty's thrown 460 innings over the last four years. But the numbers when they go out there are pretty darn similar. If you're looking at the fielding independent stuff, they're identical. If you're looking at ERAs, Jack Flaherty has been slightly better. K per nine, walks per nine, pretty darn similar in terms of those numbers as well. Alex, I don't think you're going to be able to re-sign Jack Flaherty for this deal. I think he's going to command more. He is younger by a couple of years right now than Jose Barrios. At this time next year, he will be one year younger, I believe, than Barrios is when he signed this extension. I think you're looking at 20 plus per year at a minimum for Jack Flaherty. And if he has a good year next year, you could be looking at 25 plus million dollars per year for Jack Flaherty. And it could still take seven plus years. Does this contract at all influence what you think Jack Flaherty's future will be here in St. Louis? No, because I, I, I personally don't know what his contract is going to look like. But if I were to guess, I would say it's going to look like some, something like Garrett Coles looked like. From everything that we have heard Jack Flaherty talk about and making sure he gets every dollar that he is due, unless he just continues to be injured or he just drops off and he's not the performer that we think he is, I think you're looking at a guy who's going to make 25 mil plus. And I think if that's the case, he's going to be out of the Cardinals checkbook 
distance. Like uh, that's too expensive for the Cardinals. That's the uncomfortability that they talk about. So I look at Barrios and I say, if the Cardinals could get Flaherty to this, hell yeah, I'm signing that right now, long term, and I'm getting him for less than 20 mil. That's a steal. But I just don't see that happening. So I don't know if I, I don't believe this influences Jack Flaherty's contract at all. I think Flaherty knows what he is worth. I think the agency knows what he is worth. And I think once he hits free agency, he's going to command every single dollar he can get. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't think this influences Flaherty's contract extension because I think he'll just ride out the arbitration system and then hit the free agent market. And I think I'm with you. If he stays healthy and he pitches as well as he can, I think he's a 25 plus million dollar guy right there on the verge of being a 25 million dollar guy. I think this sets a floor for what his salary could look like. Like if next year he has just an okay season, he throws 180 plus innings. He has like a 4-0 ERA, maybe a little bit better. Maybe it's a 3-8, 3-9, something like that. I, I think what you're looking at based on this contract is Jack will point to it and say, I want seven years and $150 million minimum before I'm even talking about potentially extending. And the reason why I find that interesting is because I wonder how much that influences what they do this offseason. I don't, know, I don't know that the Cardinals are going to be willing to extend that far. Maybe they will. Maybe they want to lock up a, lo- a long-term starter uh, for, for that amount of years. I am so nervous about doing that with anybody, much less a guy that has already shown some, some durability questions. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it's fair to say that he's injury-riddled. I don't know that it's fair to say that he's prone to these things. It's basically been a year where we saw this. But... There are fair questions to ask about what his long-term future looks like, just as there are for just about any pitcher. Seven-year contract is terrifying Mm -hmm. with pitchers in today's game. If that's what it's going to take, I do wonder if that pushes you more towards the guys that are going to be here for the like three to five year stretch as opposed to a one-year stopgap this offseason because there are so many intriguing options in the free agent market. I also wonder what this means for a guy like Sean Manaya, who maybe could be not an exact one for one, but a somewhat replacement for Jack Flaherty in your rotation in 2023 if you were to trade Jack Flaherty next offseason. Because I'm not sure that it makes sense to go into, not this upcoming year, but the year after, with Flaherty on that one-year contract knowing you're unlikely to re-sign him. Yeah, and I don't think he's going to sign until he is a a free agent. I think that's what Jack Flaherty's plan has always been, to go through arbitration every single year, make Major League Baseball um, recognize what the players are going through. That has nothing to do with the Cardinals. I think he's doing this more so from the way that MLB has set up the guidelines for younger players. And maybe that changes too. That's the other thing is we don't know how the, the system is going to change moving yeah, forward. I think either. that'll be huge, especially in the CBA. If it changes, I wonder if Jack Flaherty changes his tone a little bit towards this because he's been outspoken with Klaibs before of, of saying like, look, this has nothing to do with the Cardinals and everything with MLB. And you said seven years, 150 mil. If I knew that I could get Jack Flaherty for that, the seven years make me nervous. But depending on what this season looks like, if he's able to stay healthy with other than a couple of bumps and bruises along the way. I think it goes up if that happens, though. I do, I do think it goes up with that. But seven years, 150, man, for a legitimate ace when healthy to where if I have that for five years, that's kind of a steal in my opinion. I think I would do that. See, I don't think I would. And I think this says more about five years or seven, seven. I think it's unfair to Jack Flaherty. He's he's probably if, like you said, he goes through this upcoming year and he's very good and he looks healthy and everything. He is almost certainly deserving of the type of contracts that you're talking about, Alex. I just don't know that I would do the years if you could get it down to five and there'd be no reason for Jack Flaherty to do that. He could get more on the open market. So it's unreasonable. But 
if he'd be willing to go five years and I would even up the AAV five and $125 million, I might be willing to do something like that. I'd probably talk about it. I don't know if I want to do seven plus uh, years on on contracts. I mean, the the guys that have that right now are Garrett Cole, Steven Strasburg, Kinta Maeda, uh, David Price, Max Scherzer, Berrios just signed that. That's it. Those are the only guys in Major League Baseball that have seven plus mil, seven plus years on their current contracts. I mean, about half of those are already looking like they're bad deals. David Maeda, Price was a bad especially. one. Strasburg, terrible. Maeda, you, you wouldn't want to have that. But it, it's a little different because his was coming over. Um, and Garrett Cole, I, I'm already having questions if I'm the Yankees, if we made a mistake there. So I, I don't know that I would do it. How much of this is in play, though, of him hurting himself from swinging the bat, knowing that the DH is here? Yeah, I mean, that plays into it, but I'm I'm not. I, I think a lot of this is just pitcher's break. You know, I don't know that I would want to hand a seven, seven year deal to really just about any pitcher at, at this point in time. I mean, if he was willing to do what um, I, I, Jacob deGrom signed, what, five years and 125? Am I right on that? I think so. In terms of Some, his contract. Something close to that, yeah. That's the kind of deal that I would be interested in if he's willing to. 137 is what even, he signed. Even DeGrom's deal worries me because he can't stay healthy. Sure. Yeah, DeGrom, DeGrom's But at deal. least it's only five years. Yeah, you know, it's, true. It, it's And DeGrom's injuries have been more on the pitching side of things than Flaherty's. I mean, Flaherty gets hurt from that swing of the bat, which takes him out. Yeah, yeah he, he had the lat issue all year long for for a million different reasons. But, yeah, I, we don't know if it was pitching or hitting related. He just said it. It pulled when he was up there hitting. We'll say it wasn't hitting so we can keep pitchers hitting in the NL. <laughs> How's that sound? Would you guys do that? Are, are you guys interested in extending him this offseason if he's willing to listen? I'm not because I have concerns about his yeah. health still. I, I haven't seen thing. a full season from Jack Flaherty before I would extend him. Yeah. And then, and then it, of course, goes back to Then the, it's going to go up. Yeah. yeah. So you're so, kind of in a bad that's spot. That's the problem. They needed him to perform well this year, so that way you could maybe go back to the negotiating table with him, and maybe you do get it at a slight discount from what it would be a year from now. But the problem is now you're getting to the back end of the deal, and he's going to want more years added on to it and a higher AAV. And the more that he wants that, the less I become likely to do it. It's a tough spot. It's a really tough spot for uh, – for what the Cardinals are trying to do with Jack Flaherty. And I do think it will influence what they decide to do this offseason. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll cross things over at the Fast Lane coming up next. Time now for the crossover on 101 ESPN. Fastlane, we've got BT in studio with us as we get ready for the Fastlane coming up from 2 to 6. BT, Dan asked me this earlier today. I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Said if the Cardinals signed Max Scherzer to a one-year deal, and that was it. That was their offseason. So you're going to have to give him, what, $35-plus million this offseason. That would be about all the cash you're probably going to (laughs) spend. Would you consider that to be a success? Would you feel good about this offseason if the Cardinals leave it? Nothing else? Nothing so else. I don't even get to bring back uh, Garcia Unless in the you bullpen. Remove. Like if you make a trade, you end up trading Paul DeYoung. You remove five million bucks, but you've got a budget. You got to stick to it. So, and it, can I? 
in factoring this in, I know that I'm adding a lot of sure. layers to this, but what the hell? Um, do I also know whatever that money is that I end up spending for sure? So let's just call it thirty-five. Like sure. He just takes a one-year thirty-five because he's being nice. That's him being nice. That's the hometown discount for you. Appreciate Yikes. that. Appreciate that. Uh, can I also assume that that thirty-five will be spent somehow? This year, like if I don't spend it on Scherzer, sure, yeah, you've got a thirty-five million dollar budget, okay. and in this scenario, you get Scherzer. In the other right. scenario, you spend it in a however okay. you deem fit, but in a I different don't do way. It then. I don't. I don't. Uh, if they did it, I'd be on the radio, be happy about it. But if I was going to spend thirty-five million dollars, I would get a a good starter still, and I'll just keep throwing out Marcus Stroman's name until he's gone. And then I would add a bat. Like, in that bat, still within that money range, could probably land you Jock Peterson or Rosario. Chances are. Probably not going to get Schwarber. I, I bet he's going to go anywhere 15 to 18 per year. But if I land... Sounds you like know, he's got a strong market. I mean, anybody well, good for him. who knows what this market... Yeah. Who know, well, it's great to see guys signing, right? Guys coming off awesome. the market a little bit already. You know, even guy like Syndergaard on a one-year deal. But... It, Obviously, your team's better with Max Scherzer on it, but I think that you have some other holes that you have to fill as well. Are you still on Stroman even after we've seen a, uh, Rodriguez get his money and then today where we get the Toronto Blue Jays guy, Barrios, and then with Noah Syndergaard? Because he's looking, Stroman now seems like he's 20 His plus. market looks good, uh-huh. doesn't it? Yeah, 5, I think 125 yeah. feels possible. I had, it, I had him at 23 the other day when I was giving him a deal. I put yeah. him at, uh, you know, it was four years, 92, I think it was. Sounds about right. There. So I would, I would pay him that at his age. I think that he fits really Really well. Uh, I, I think that he competes. I think that everything about him works there. Now, I, I don't know the dynamic around. Is everybody like Strowman? Who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I like him. And I, I, I like, like the way he pitches. I would like to be able to bring that guy like in. It, it fits for me. But you're right. The, the market is crazy. And that's the, that's going to be the, the interesting part is to see how all of this develops and see who the Cardinals are truly in on. You know, the, the Scherzer idea sounds great, but his market's going to be a lot more than the mm-hmm. one year with the Cardinals. But I think it's a really interesting discussion because I bet a lot of Cardinal fans, and I'm sure you got the reaction, like, was it split on that deal? So it was, and I posted this on Twitter at BK Sports Talk as well. Would you consider it to be a successful offseason if the Cardinals made one move and it was signing Max Scherzer to a one-year deal? I, I was a little surprised by this, i got to be honest, because of the name. 61% said no. Okay. Well, they, well, they realize that there's some other additions that need to be made. And I think that a lot of people look at this. I, the Cardinals have said, and it is, it is true, that their biggest need is pitching. Like, they need pitching. But I think that a lot of people from the outside looking in from a fan base standpoint said our offense was bad last year overall, and we need to be able to add to that. So if I'm going to take that $35 million, I think I do both. That's where Alex has been. Yeah. Where it's like, hey. Yeah, we get it that the pitching broke for you this year, but don't forget in June, your offense was also broken. Like it was both things happening simultaneously. And that's why they got into such a rut is, okay, so your pitching is broken. And oh, by the way, the offense is scoring two runs per game. Let's fix both Go get them, boys. Yeah. <laughs> Let's fix both of these yeah. things where we stabilize the rotation with a strike thrower, whether that be Strowman or Mats or whoever your favorite guy is in that market. And also, hey, can can we get a bat? I'm not asking for a shortstop anymore. That's fine. I, I get it. You told me no five times. I'll I'll take no for an answer. Do you ever do that as a kid though? Like you know, you you asked your parents and you wrote you've written the letter to Santa and you know that there's an item that you're just not going to get. Like they basically told you bluntly to your face, you're not getting the uh, new uh, the PlayStation. Xbox. You're not getting the new PlayStation. You're not getting those things. But yet that magical morning, you just sit there and be like, that's the that's that, it. That and then the you're disappointed when it's not there. Of course you're disappointed. <laughs> Notorious. But like you think that it might show up. And maybe for you, one magical day that shortstop will is show it, up. Is it bad if a parent just 
puts a gift that's not a PlayStation in a PlayStation box oh, and wraps man. it. That is horrible. It's bad that one is the worst. Just for future reference ball. for me and, and kids. Just making sure. Yeah, that's not funny, that. right? BT, what's coming up today on the Fast Lane? Look, all kinds of good stuff. We're going to break down. Uh, well, yeah, you guys broke down the blues all day, all the additions. We'll get into that without Jamie. So some of this stuff could be factual. Some of it could be made up. Either way, it'll be our opinions. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll break down the Barrios deal. We'll talk about how we believe that that's a comp for another guy. So a lot of good stuff today. Looking forward to that. That's coming up from 2 to 6. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 right here on 101 ESPN. But I just can't believe the, the, I told you, I told you, I told you. Shut up!